everybody out there in comic book land. My name is George Serrano, aka The Don, and if you're listening to this, you can only be here for one reason, and that's a brand new episode of the Major Issues Podcast, brought to you by Comic Book Click. And as you know, I am never alone. Sir, please introduce yourself. My name is Dan the Comic Book Man, ladies and gentlemen. Dan the Comic Man is here in studio, and I think it's about time we uh, stop trying to pull the wool over the eyes of the audience. Dan, for the most part, we call you in studio Dan the Movie Man instead of Dan the Comic Book Man because you uh, are a bit, a bit of a movie file. Well, the, the name was just something that just came quick to my head whenever when I first joined Comic Book Click. It was just I needed a name real quick, so eh, why not? But your passion, for the most part, is in film. Always, yes. I'm more passionate about film than anything. So that's why we decided to bring Dan the Comic Book Man in to review a particular film. Uh, 2010's Kick-Ass, but uh, as we do here as part of Major Issues, we always got to take it up a notch, and we both actually separately read the eight-issue miniseries. Uh, Freaking crazy. That the, that, uh, the movie is based on, the Kick-Ass miniseries, written by Mark Millar and uh, with art by John Romita Jr., J.R.J.R. Uh, I guess we should start off the back talking about the comic? Yeah, because I just finished the graphic novel a couple of hours ago, so it's something that's like I, I would want to talk about first. Yeah, Um. well, the idea that, you know, Millar himself, Mark Millar, uh, has created a ton of different stories, crafted a bunch of stories in the medium, um, and he actually, a lot of these stuff has been picked up to be adapted to uh, the silver screen and stuff, stuff like Wanted. Um, you know, that's that's a Millar, that's a Millar project right there, and that becomes a film. Uh, Kingsman, also Mark Millar, that becomes a film. And then Kick-Ass. Uh, and a lot of those... It looks like Matthew Vaughn likes adapting Mark Millar's work. Really. Well, a lot of the... A lot of those movies have similar... Um, stylization, I guess you would say. Yeah, because Matthew Vaughn has that very... He's like His action is more of long takes. Right. It's not really up close, 15 cuts for a punch to be thrown. And all three of those projects, you know, um, Kingsman, Kick-Ass, and Wanted are not shy when it comes to violence, when it comes to action scenes and stuff. And maybe that's what uh, brings Matthew Vaughn's excitement up when it comes to these projects. But before this became a film, it was just an eight-issue stories uh, uh series and it was released in february of 2008 and by may uh the screenwriting for the film adaptation already started so they either knew because of maybe the success of wanted that the next thing that Malara was going to make was going to be movie worthy well probably because they were writing the last book scott pilgrim uh gets it together or Scott Pilgrim vs. the Universe, one of them. They're writing either the fifth and sixth or just the sixth at the same time that they're writing the script for the movie. Oh. Like, they picked up the rights for the movie to be done before the the series was even finished. Right. And I, although I've seen the film uh, multiple occasions, even though I hadn't seen it in quite some time prior to this review, uh, I never read the book. I, Scott Pilgrim? No, um, Kick-Ass. Oh, Kick-Ass. So, so I always assumed that it was by some kind of third-party publisher that had nothing to do with any of the bigwigs. Turns out, 
Kick-Ass was written under the um, Icon imprint, but Icon's owned by Marvel. Well, you can see the JRJR illustration a lot with the violence. Like the one, the what was that Batman book that you had me? Oh read. yeah, he's on that too. Yeah, he, um, and you can see the you can see the blood the way it's illustrated. It's all the same drawing. So that is Batman All Star Batman. Yes, All Star Batman is part of the B uh, the DC Rebirth brand. But yeah, uh, coming off just the comic, I thought the comic was very easy to get into. I thought it was very easy to digest. Um, it's a lot of introductions. Uh, just like how the movie is. But in eight issues, you get a lot of what makes the movie pop. There's a lot of... Um, I think they nail the teenage voice in it. All the action, I think, is great. Like well, I was going to say, Hit Girl kind of seems younger in the book than she does in the movie. Well, she like has ha- a ponytail in the book. I feel like the haircut in the movie might have... Or just the actress in general. Like, like it, if this isn't no, like a... Young Dakota Fanning, like well, Chloe mean, Grace Moretz, kind of looked older. She kind of looked like. I mean, she definitely looked older in the second film. I think. I think in the first film she still looks young, and we'll get to why that was a problem. But um, apparently, Mark Millar had ideas about making this book for years, and considers it almost autobiographical. Uh, autobiographical. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> considers <laughs> it autobiographical. Um, because he says that, like, a lot of times where you see the scenes of Dave, the title character in this, Dave uh, Lezinski? 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 Um Yeah, Dave, just like Dave sits around comic stores and chats it up with his friends, uh, Mark did the same thing. And so, like, they all read Batman Year One, uh, him and his friends, and they would just sit around and talk about why people don't become um, superheroes, you know? Why Why? Why does everybody want to be everything else in the world except for the people who do good or dress up to do good? Um, so he had this idea of a, of a superhero, I guess, this, this entire time. And so he creates this book um, that deviates from the film a bit, but I think when we get into the film conversation, that's when we should start... Uh, talking about some of the bigger twists, what was left out and stuff there. But yeah, they, this was something that had I not, I don't know if I, if I would have read the comic first, if I would have liked the film. I mean, it's almost shot for shot the same thing besides the things that we'll talk about are different. Well, I mean, a lot of the scenes that are like different don't, but it's not like it bothers me. So okay. it's like, I think I, I would be able to, if I read the book first, I think I would have liked the book and the movie. Because I can see what wouldn't the, the scenes that got left out. I can tell that it doesn't work. Yeah. Like it just doesn't look like it can be filmable. Right. Also, I got an uh, idea from the comic that it was much more of a cautionary tale. This idea that oh um, yeah, yeah, like it was more of a message. Right. Like you do not want to do this. The, the the superhero life vigilantism is not as uh, heart stars and horseshoes as you think it is. Did you feel that the film did the same? Uh, did is best to convey well, that same message. It, it, it's kind of weird because now reading the book and watching the film, the film seems less realistic. Like the story of the kid, like it doesn't really. It, it just seems like something you can watch in a movie. Like oh, some guy just wants to put on a costume and fight crime. The the book felt more like a warning of if you go out, put on a costume and fight crime. 
doesn't matter how old you are, you will get into some serious trouble. Yeah. And so that, you know, that's what uh, Malar was going for. Uh, the idea of like, okay, so we used to have this discussion with me and my friends about being a superhero, but what if we took it to the next level? And if we took it to the next level, what would actually happen? Realistically, what would happen? And just and like it, the end of the book, like near the ending where the kid's trying to like get out of it, where he's like, hey, listen, I'm just like, you know, I didn't, I'm just a 15 year old kid. I didn't do nothing to you. And the guy's like, well, you're in trouble now. So And at various, at various points in the film and in the book, um, you're told like, this isn't a joke, kid. Like this isn't, this is real life. The things that you do have, uh, you know, um, consequences. Yeah, and the second movie really does that a lot with the, you know, this isn't a comic book that you read. They, they, they make it a point to say it a lot of times. This isn't like the comics. This isn't like the comics. Were you uh, curious at all about reviewing, not reviewing, but getting into Kick-Ass uh, 2 and 3, the books? Because well, after Kick-Ass 3 book. Well, after watching Kick-Ass 2, I kind of want to see what the differences were in the second one because... The second one it doesn't really seem like something that I would read in a book. Right. Like, it just doesn't seem to follow the ebb and flow of how Kick-Ass 1 ended. Yeah. I, and it's weird because you could you create these uh, series, and I would say that you could end Kick-Ass, the series, at the end of issue 8. I think you could. No, yeah. Just a mini series. Not that. everything needs to be a franchise or a but universe. But it's money, right? Like, yeah. if you make a bunch of money on 8 issues, you'd make even more on 16 issues and then pass that 24 issues. So I could see that. It's like with Scott Pilgrim, it's, you know, everything in the next, like, two to six of the books are all not really in the movie. Yeah. The movie's just really the first two, and then they just take the X's that are throughout the movie. So not everything needs to be filmed. Like Watchmen, yeah. doesn't it, a lot of it was, like, called unfilmable. And right. they made and they filmed it anyways, and oh, it didn't get a lot of, unadaptable. And yeah, it didn't really that. pan well too much. Like, even critics call it too long or... You know, Zack Snyder with his slow-mos. I like his slow-mos. Um, yeah, so this film, uh, well, sorry, the book, uh, I think tackles a lot of realistic issues, realistic um, outlooks on things. Um, I really, like I said, I really think that they nail the uh, teenage voice. A lot what's important to us at those ages versus what's important to us when we get older no, or yeah, when we're younger. Can't, like, the a lot of the narration was taken from the book for the movie, yeah. but a lot of the narration that wasn't that was kept in the book is really more teen monologuing than yeah than superhero monologuing. It's just right. I think I yeah I think for the most part uh, we get a sense that Dave is a teenager first, superhero second. Where a lot of these films we're supposed to know Captain America the hero, Thor the hero, you know. Uh, Batman the hero and they don't really spend a lot of time in their alter egos we find that Dave has a lot to lose by himself um, especially in the comic at one point he distinctively remembers or distinctively thinks to himself if I get myself killed my father will have no one around oh yeah and I don't think we get there ever in the movie no but that that's a, that's a deep thought there you know his mother does die of yeah there was a good like way. for like half of a half of a one book he quits being kick-ass right in, in total, because he didn't want to leave his father alone. Yeah, we never really get that in there. So the stakes are definitely higher in the book. Well, they do draw him like to look a lot smaller in the book. Yeah. Like I was noticing, like between like the, the, the differences of being blonde and brown hair, Aaron Taylor Johnson. Like I also felt like he was incredibly stringy in the book. 
Like, yeah, that's I, that's what like, it is. He really looks like small. He looks like skinny. Well, it's funny because um, Christopher Mintz Place. Am I saying that right? Yeah, Mister McLovin, something. AKA McLovin, because y'all all know him as McLovin. Um, that actor had a, originally auditioned to play Kickass. Yeah, but after reading the book, he kind of does look like Chris Redmist. Yeah, whatever. His name uh, Chris was. Dem- D'Amico. Oh, uh, Genovese. Chris Genovese. Well, it becomes... Uh, so, that's actually pretty funny, too. Yeah. So, in the book, it's Genevieve. But in the uh, film, is D'Amico because I heard they didn't want to get any mobsters upset. <laughs> like, actual, factual uh, mobsters. Which, if that's the case, I think that would be pretty damn funny. Yeah, yeah. In the original comic, Mark Strong's character, we'll talk about Mark Strong in a bit. I love Mark Strong. John G., a.k.a. John Genovese. And John Genovese is one of the most powerful of the five families of the mob. But to avoid any trouble, um, because that's an actual factual family, they changed it to Frank D'Amico because in The Simpsons, Fat Tony is Anthony D'Amico. (laughs) <laughs> so they just made everybody all related and all uh all friends i guess everything has to be a connected universe everything has to be i'm a also happy universe. that they didn't get into any trouble with the actual mob for using real names i don't think yeah, anybody true. knew that so that is definitely good there but um yeah there's distinctive changes that that were made um i don't think any of them any of the changes like you would think you see things in a book and then you watch the adaptation and you would go, oh, okay, that was cut because of budget. Or that was cut because of um, to get it underneath the rating that I needed to get. But the things that were cut don't seem to be contingent with anything oh, no, I, that I would change the tone. Movie. Yeah, no, it does change. It's tone. Look at it this way. Yeah, think of, think of it this way. Uh, Dave in the book doesn't get a happy ending. He walks. He walks well, in. That, on the, that walks in. That's hand in hand with the cautionary tale, though, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, but but in the movie, everything about Dave doesn't seem unhappy. He just carries this outcast tone. Like he's more. He's an outcast, but he doesn't seem depressed. He doesn't seem he's miserable. Also, kind of like six two. Yeah. <laughs> so he's also like, like you never see him get bullied in this. No, but in in the book, like, uh, like in the book, he doesn't end up with Katie in, in, in the book. He ends right. up getting her his ass kicked by yeah, her boyfriend we'll, in yeah, the book. We'll, yeah, we'll talk about that. We'll talk about that. Um, I also thought it was kind of interesting that when they created this book, um, a charity auction was held to name the character. And so the winner of the charity auction was a guy named Dave Lizinski, and he was just like, just, yeah, use that. <laughs> use my name. And so uh, we have I would that keep there. that receipt forever. I want a receipt. Oh yeah, I'll, I mean, I'll ask for a receipt. What, the movie exists, right? The movie yeah, but you know they have those little likeness name. rights shits at oh, the end yeah. of the movies. Like this isn't from anybody real; it's just a coincidence. So we already know that Mark Millar had a lot of stake in this film because I mean, sorry, in this book because it it reflected so much of his childhood and the, the conversation that project. he had. Right, Romita too uh, added a bunch of from his childhood. He designed all the neighborhoods and stuff, like his neighborhood in Queens, and. Um, there's also a little bit uh, more in the film than the book. A little bit of a, like a Peter Parker vibe I get from Dave. Um, yeah, and they do make a mention of it a lot. But, Spider-Man. but they go out of their way to like really compare things to Spider-Man, like you know. Now the film, I thought that I'm mean, sorry, the book I thought did a great job of name dropping constantly because this is underneath a Marvel imprint. So they say things like Doctor Doom, they say things like Spider-Man, they say things like you know. Yeah, they, they have full-on conversation. Like they're always in a comic book store, so it's pretty cool that they're always having conversations about. Like I think uh, one of the panels, 
they were talking about Galactus. Yeah. And they were comparing about the movies, like the Silver, the Rise of the Silver Surfer, because the book came out around that time. Right, and they were also talking about uh, the organic web shooters. Yes, that Spider-Man. organic web shooters wouldn't work in a in a film. The yeah, the only person that thinks that that technological web shooters would wouldn't work is the main character, which made me think that that's what Mark Millar thinks, which then made me feel kind of like, are you serious, bro? Like it's always well. That's been what Sam Raimi thought too. Terrible. He didn't, he didn't think that 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 uh, that the audience would believe a sixteen year old kid was smart enough to make his own web shoes. That's the whole point, though, isn't it? That is the that's point. The whole point. Anyway, uh, yes. So before we dive super deep into the actual film and talk about how it deviates from the comic, let's give a little bit of a spoiler free uh, review. Let's go for those who have never seen this film. I remember liking this film, and I, after watching it again, I think I have I had tempered my expectations for some reason. Maybe it's because last week I watched Spawn. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> it's because I've been doing a lot of these, which is worse, and I've been seeing a lot of just bad comic book adaptations. But this movie is not only a good comic book movie, it's just a good movie. Like, I... At every point that they wanted me to laugh, at every point that they wanted me to gasp, and this is somebody who's seen the film already, you know, I would. Yeah, but you don't remember much, much of it. Where I'm just, I'm just like, this is a comic book. At one point, uh, to say like the next day or whatever, they would use comic book panels, actual comic book blocks uh, on screen. Oh yeah, the, that little that. in-screen animation stuff is good. Yeah, um, I think that everybody is at the height of their powers in this, you know. Um, um, lead guy is uh, Taylor... Aaron Taylor Johnson. Aaron Taylor Johnson. ATJ, I think... Quicksilver. Um, I think ATJ was as geeky as he... Like, he was at the height of his geek. Yeah, no, you know what the thing is? He was a believable geek. He was sellable. Now he's not. Now he's Now just, that I know who Aaron Taylor Johnson is, yeah, you wouldn't be able to sell him, but... Guy fought Godzilla, you know? So it's like... Uh, fought against the side of Godzilla. Whatever. Yeah, but... um. I think that he does great. I think I, I think that the movie kind of sits on Chloe Grace Moretz's shoulders a little bit. But the unsung hero, I think, of this film is Mark Strong, who I think is a great mobster. Uh, Mark Strong was also Sinestro. Mark Strong is also going to be Dr. Savannah in um, Captain Marvel. So he's got his chops. You know, I know Mark Strong has a very great, like, background and now people always confuse him for stanley tucci and i oh, get yeah, tired yeah, of yeah. it but people no. are confusing him for stanley tucci like, i think i think mark uh, did very great in this what would you what would you say about this film without uh, giving too much away uh well see it, it plays really well of setting it in a realistic tone this isn't a tone where uh super strength and super flight exist this isn't a world where a guy in his 30s an orphan is gonna have millions of dollars and dress up as a bat like do you this. think? Do you think that that's what actually makes this premise work? Like both in the comics and on film, the idea that the main character does not have an actual superpower, and yeah, that the, for the most part, no one that we see in this or the sequel has an actual factual meta superpower. Well, that's the thing. I don't. That's what I love about the film. That's what makes it work for me. Is that uh, DC and Marvel exist in this world? Like, these are kids that are going to the comic book store and picking up amazing fantasies and, you know, saying, oh, why don't people become superheroes? Like, that kind of realistic tone works for me. Yeah. So that's what makes the film, like, and the violence. 
The violence is great. <laughs> uh, Matthew Vaughn's long take fight scenes. You've seen it in Kingsman. It's great. Yeah. And um, uh, Chloe Grace Moretz, um, she really is the wow factor here because she wasn't really known except for like 500 Days of Summer. And I think. And a good child actor. And I know that sounds so like they're a dime a dozen, but they're, they're really not. They're really not. There's a reason why people gravitated towards Stranger Things. Those kids have something. You know, they have um, a je ne sais quoi. They have, they have, they a, got moxie. They got moxie. They have enthusiasm. They, they play true to their age, and it all works. And the same thing with her in this. I, this movie's not the same without her, in in my opinion. Um, and now I've been watching Titans, and Raven kind of kind of has like the similar hair and it's kind of similar features, and I'm like. Nah, you're not Chloe. You know, like I, I really, when I first saw this movie, I really remember thinking like this little girl's gonna be something someday, and I think she's like, and she is twenty one now. Yeah. Um, but I think she might have some regrets about doing these films in general. Uh, it brought her a lot of success really fast, and sometimes those stories don't go as well as they should. But she's, I mean, to my knowledge, she's her nose is clean, you know, yeah. uh, her head's on straight and everything is uh, everything's working out for her. She I mean she did carry. But um yeah, great. Nicolas Cage. Good. Nicolas Cage is oh is good. See, before I rewatched the movie for this podcast, the only really thing that I ever only memory I had of Nicolas Cage was his death scene. No, I always remembered um him talking to her, him talking to Kickass with Hit Girl in the house, in in Kick-Ass's house. And he was talking like this. Yeah, yeah, and reading everything on the Will Shatner like, teleprompter. And, and, and if you knew that, yeah, ask Kick. And he was doing all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Really, um, really did good. Uh, what that is you, not the character I read in the book at all. What else? You got to say spoiler-free so we could dive into some... Spoiler-free, a lot of the characters, a lot of the actors and actresses that were chosen to play their character counterpart were great. Like reading the book and watching the movie, they like between looking like them and having the mannerisms. I think it really sold as in like a faithful comic book movie. Faithful adaptation. There was there was enough violence, enough cursing, enough jokes, but enough heart there. Yeah. A lot of heart. I also say that if you want to say that this movie is seven, like sixty percent, the gratuitous violence. 15% the, the language and like 15% uh, Chloe Grace Moretz the rest of it is rests on the shoulders of my man Henry Jackman the music yes. in this film four people scored this film amazing it's amazing it may be tropey because a lot of it is just what you do like you understand know like the, the main theme for this is as generic a superhero call to action theme could be. But it's still done perfectly. It's still done well. This film, in a lot of ways, feels like a parody of superhero films. But in actual, a love letter, but, but really. It, but in actuality, they, they are cranking up the realism factor by showing the, the consequences to actions. Um, and I don't know if... I don't know if the film does that with the consequences. I think by the time you get to the end... 
you one could argue it gets back to fantastical again, right? Like when you get yeah, when you get that end scene without spoiling it, because we'll get into spoilers in a second. It's just like oh, we're well, yeah, screw it, you know. And and so uh, we get there, and it is a deviation from the comics, the ending, but it's enjoyable, man. It is. This is not something. This is not a film that you have that you got to put on and have a notepad with you because you have to connect dots. This is not a film where you have to bring an entire franchise's history with you to remember where everybody no, is and everything is. Not you at can, all. You pop this movie in and you just let the experience... Get some popcorn, get two good friends. And you let the uh, experience overtake you. And I think that's that's the best... Uh, See, we kind of dropped the ball. We could have done a good segment of a which is better and compare this to the super... I've the, never seen Super. You've never seen Super? No, because Super to me is what I thought this was going to be. It was It's a parody, isn't it? No. Oh, man, no. Super James Gunn's work. Right. And, and it, Rain Wilson. He's yeah, a, and he's Rain a, Wilson plays he plays a, like a door-to-door the church-goer type Jesus freak who loses his girlfriend like to drugs. Jehovah's Witness. Yeah, and he loses his girlfriend to drugs and uh, like a uh, crime. And he dresses up in this all red costume because G- he had a vision from Jesus. Jesus told him to save his girlfriend and fight crime. So he dresses up in just this all red costume and walks around and his name with is a Super? wrench. No, Super is just, that's just the name of the movie. It's just Super. I can't remember. Does he have a name? I think, oh, I can't remember his name at all. But the first scene where he introduces himself, this guy like cuts the line at a movie theater. And okay. he goes away to his car. Goes to into dress his up car, to go fight somebody. Dresses up. He, he sk- puts his costume back on. He comes up to the guy and says this cliche, uh, campy uh, superhero line. Yeah. And then can I <laughs> cut in or something like that? And then hits him in the head with a monkey wrench and cracks his temple. Oh my god! It's violent like that. It's like violent like 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 kick ass. It has all the realism of some guy just dressing up, but it's James Gunn hilarious. I think oh. it, it's half what got him Guardians. Okay. And I think I'll it came out around that. the same time, around 2010. They both came out in like the same year. Ellen Page plays what Hit Girl respectively plays. I remember when I was reading the comic thinking, if I would have gotten this comic when it came out, I'd be all about it. All about this. Like, where were these foul-mouthed, blood-soaked, teenage angst comics when I... Because... You gotta find them. Especially in 2008, when this came out, I'm... I'm thinking Iron Man. Iron Man came out in 2008. Yeah, The Dark Knight came out in 2008. I'm thinking the only stories I would ever be interested in are stories of the superheroes I know. And here, Mark Millar comes with a simple eight-issue uh, story that r- wraps up nice. And what's funny is I I was trying to do some real critical thinking about this and the film. There isn't a lot of like extensive world building. Like, you know his dad. What does his dad do for a living? Uh, security guard because of a design. You understand what I'm saying? Because I'm even saying to myself, what does his father do? And then I looked. I was like, oh, he must be like a security guard. There's a bunch There's a bunch of things just left to the imagination. There's a, there's a bunch of things that... Because they're not important to the, to the narrative. Yeah. And I'm so used to these things trying to set up for a franchise so they, they give you everything. They they let you know people's blood types and last no, names. No, this is like if they already expect you to know who everybody is or not care who everybody is. And this, yeah, this, a great introduction and, and all that. Uh, let's let's get spoilerific. Spoilerific. Rific, rific. Um, I was trying to write down the um, synopsis, 
but I seem to have forgotten what I think is probably one of the best openings to a superhero movie ever, which is... Oh, the subverted the, expectations. The, the, na- the narration of Dave, the title, oh, the, the main character, the protagonist in this, basically saying like, oh, you know, I've always wanted to be a superhero. I always wanted Yeah, to- one of those who am I? You yeah. sure you want to know? Yeah. And so you see this guy um, stand up uh, on top of a building with these wings. He kind of looks like Falcon a little yeah, bit. Yeah, he kind of looks like the old design of Falcon. Um, and so he's going to jump off this building. And I'm guessing because he has wings, he's going to fly. And so he jumps off this this thing in the film. And uh, in the comic, you hear him say, like, engage manual. Yeah, wings, man- wings like, manual. Yeah, and it's not working. So you kind of get in the um, book, you get a sense that things are gonna go wrong. But in the film, it just looks like he's going—he's going really deep for his for his flight. <laughs> he's just jumping really deep for his flight. But instead, he smashes into a uh, c- cab. We find out it's just some Armenian guy with some mental issues. Yep. That uh, that was doing <laughs> this, and we get into regular narration and. As soon as the movie starts to narrate and you see Dave in school, he talks about like I'm I'm not a jock, but I'm not a you know a nerd. I'm, nerd. Not, I'm in the I'm middle. A... I'm I'm invisible. All this kind of stuff. Instant Peter Parker vibes. I get instant. Like why don't they let? Why don't more movies let narration? And I get the idea that people think that narration is an expositional crutch, but it's legitimately built into the well, medium of comic when books. It's, when 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 I feel like if if it serves a purpose, like an internal monologue. Sometimes internal monologues are important. Other times, it's like, I don't need narration. Like, but a lot of times, they put narration over when you could just see it. Right. If you're going to tell a story from a person's point of view, and we're following that person's story, yeah, sure. Give me a narration. I know it's an internal monologue. But most movies start with narration that just doesn't need to be there. Right. And it's usually of some mythos. Yes. That's going like, to take okay, place like, throughout uh, the whole Green thing. Lantern, the way it starts, or the way Dragon Ball Evolution starts, long ago in a far galaxy. And right. This like an, and example, this. an example of that here would be if they would have started the movie with the um, Big Daddy and Hit Girl origin. Yes. Like if they would have been like, years ago, there was this man, and he got wronged by the mob, and that man is now John like, whatever. Like Nicolas they- Cage's little origin story, that narration of it. That's the narration that most people are against. Like, yeah, yeah, like, I, I can see that. I can see that. But I did. I definitely liked. Um, but yeah, sometimes I need this. internal monologues. Which one of Day's friends is your favorite? Do you like? Oh, oh, God, um, Marty, aka I Clark never, Duke, or Clark Duke, Duke, right there. I already knew his yep, hot tub time machine and uh, and the office. Sex Drive, The Office. Yes. Not many people have seen Sex Drive. I I'm love actually, Sex Drive. I'm actually pretty uh, impressed by that. That's the Amish when they go. Yeah. yeah, Seth Green plays the Amish guy. Yeah. Uh, and then you got Evan Peters as Todd Haynes reuniting the Quicksilvers. Uh, I know in one the world, first and only Quicksilver's film that I know to see of each other. where both Quicksilvers uh, are in that film together, and it's it's just so funny. It's like Wonder Boys that has uh, Topher, uh, Tobey Maguire and uh, what's his name? Uh, no, uh, Robert Downey Jr. Oh, what? 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 Yeah, one, yeah, like, yeah. In like nineteen, well, in like two thousand one, Robert Downey Jr. Young and Tobey Maguire were in a movie together with Michael Douglas. Okay, so Ant Man, why Ant Man, Spider Man, and well, Tony Stark were all in a movie. Together. That reminds me of uh, Skull Island. Skull Island has Nick Fury, Loki, and uh, Captain Marvel. <laughs> Jesus, and probably more. But I mean, those are those are pretty three big heavy hitters. Um, 
Yeah, yeah. So I really, really like the organic conversation that they were able to have. That this whole idea of what do you think of the conversation of why aren't more people becoming superheroes? Uh, well, the conversation between the friends in the movie seemed really less like it didn't seem as much as in the book. Okay. Like in the book, like half of the book was really Dave and his friends. Yeah. A lot of times it was Dave talking with his friends. It was always the two main friends that you see. Yeah. And this, it just really seemed like if it was just off to the side. Yeah. Like they were just taking conversations from the book and throwing it onto a script. Because they still had the, why does everybody want to be Paris Hilton, but nobody wants to be that Spider-Man. That not in the com- comic. No. I thought it would be. No, it is. No, the, but the... the- Porn tape line. I oh, the they, porn I, tape line. Yeah, they say, well, no, I think that was improv. Spider-Man doesn't have a porn tape. And I thought that was very funny. Uh, and have I you thought, ever seen, uh, what was it, A Night in Peter Parker? A Night in Spider-Man? Yeah, I thought I actually thought it would that would have came from the comic, but it didn't. So I'm, I'm actually glad to see that they were able to add some things uh, that would make it funnier. But you def- we definitely have... Um, we definitely have our protagonist here, and he is ready. He wants to, he just feels the urge to do what no one's ever done before in his eyes, which is emulate what they see in comic books. If if heroes can get the job done, why aren't more people signing up to be heroes? And that's what I liked in, in the book where they surely showed more of a, him working out and yeah. learning to fight more. Yeah, yeah. Like in the movie, it just jumps straight to him buying a Well, you have costume. them getting robbed. They get robbed. And I think that was the moment where he realized that he needs to be a hero. Yeah. Where not only do they get robbed, it's like the most casual robbing ever. Like and give me guys looking out the window, just and and they just give up. They just give them everything they to the point where stuff. Evan Peters even says, "Like I don't have a phone. I got I got robbed last week." And you, yeah, you guys took it. Yeah, basically. And that's when Dave knows he's like, "I'm never gonna get robbed again. We need to. Well, I need to do this." Goes and purchases a uh, scuba suit. Yeah. With a scuba mask? I guess. Is that a scuba mask? <laughs> yeah, it was mask? A, he was on the scuba website. Is there a scuba mask? Does He He has an open mouth in that, uh, don't he? He has an open mouth, big, big like uh, square eye holes. I get that because you could probably just put the goggles. Uh, uh, well, maybe goggles then you over. would need for the apparatus Snorkel? to breathe. Yeah, the, to breathe through. Ah, uh, we're answering our own questions here. That's what, that's <laughs> what it's all here for in the Major Issues podcast. But, um, he, yeah, he's like, screw it. I'm going to do what the comics say. And uh, he purchases a scuba suit, green and yellow. This happens also in the comics. And uh, some batons and stuff. And he starts to, like, check himself out in the mirror and stuff. I did like him digging his gear. Well, I mean, yeah, because he's a 15-year-old kid that's about to be a superhero. He even says that he likes how it feels under his... Uh, co- oh, under yeah, his, I did uh, like that uh, in the comics. In the comics, uh, that, I, that was, like, said, really cool. He was like, yeah. You know how cool it felt to have my gear underneath my clothes, my clothes. <laughs> just in case I need. I'm like, well, a 15 year old kid would feel like that. I would feel like that. Yeah. If I had like my Spider Man suit under my clothes. People were uh, there was a uh, long form discussion going on about tights in 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 uh, comics in general. Like, um, why do people wear tights instead of armor and all this other kind of stuff? And this is a little bit of it. When Spider-Man decides to be Spider-Man, it's much more easy just to put the mask on when you have the entire outfit on underneath. And you just put the clothes in a bag, you web that bag against the wall, and then you do what you got to do. As opposed to taking off your regular clothes, being naked, putting on You think Batman has his bat suit under his $200,000 suit? No. He has to leave the room every five minutes to go and change into Batman real quick. Yeah. But, um, oh, and we'll get, we'll definitely get into Batman in a second. I... Then Kick-Ass goes on the road, right? In the comics, he sees three guys doing graffiti. 
Yeah. In the film, it's the same two guys uh, carjacking. So, what I like is they actually express a little bit of what goes on with Peter Parker. Peter Parker is a geek. And Peter Parker has a lot of self-confidence issues. When Peter Parker puts on the Spider-Man mask, none of those issues exist anymore. He is there. He is there. um, And he is quippy. And he's talking to people and he doesn't give a damn. Uh, And the same thing happens here where Dave isn't one to stand up to these guys. He just got robbed by them a couple weeks ago. Uh, But now with the mask on, with the responsibility of being a superhero, he basically calls them out. He calls them uh, names I can't repeat here on the podcast. And whips out his baton and goes to work trying to save the day and save this innocent person's car from being carjacked. And in the comic and in the film, he is beaten down and stabbed. It's the most right realistic. The it's the most realistic result of of this act of heroism. And it kind of brought me to a level of like, oh wow, yeah, that kind of it's kind of exactly what would happen. Like these people who carjack, they don't they're not um they're not not armed. You know what yeah, I'm saying? Like they're gonna have and they're not and guns. not gonna stab someone that's flailing batons at them and swinging batons dressed up in some kind of green green scuba and suit. yellow scuba suit with boots on. But yet, that's the first big thing that happens. He decides to actually take on a threat, and he is stabbed. And you think that that that's it? He's over there, you know, walking around uh, pools of blood because he probably punctured some kind of vital artery. Um. And as he's walking, he gets hit by a car. In the comics, he gets hit by like some rich guy's car. In the in the no the movie I mean, it was the movie. He, yeah hit by a rich guy's car. In it the was the comic. Girls, it was two, two girls. girls. Yeah, we're just driving around and stuff. Um, Both doing the same thing. It's like up, oh, just just drive away. They are able to get him to a hospital where his bones are uh, laced. I think with, it was like uh He was basically given various metal plates around his skull, spine, stuff like that. Places that he had fractured to uh Yeah, his shit was destroyed. To strengthen um his bones <laughs> so he can walk and and do normal people things. Uh, he also fried out his nervous system. What was that it? Yeah. Pain receptors. His nerve endings is like Yeah, so he uh didn't receive pain like he normally would. Which I guess you want to say that that's his superpower now. I guess Ajax in a, a way, bit. In, like a, how, in a weird like way. Because in the comic book, he did take a lot of beatings. And like it, after this this incident, he managed to be able to take a lot of different beatings. In the comic book, there's a definitive moment where he says something along the lines of, "Thank God, no, yeah, at the I end. have my nerve. My nerves are shot, and thank God, I have eighty four percent pain. I can't. He feel he can't feel like eighty four percent pain. He's like, thank God, I have all these metal pieces, uh, you know, uh, in my bone structure." And stuff, uh, but yeah, he. So medical science is his superpower. He has some bones replaced with metal, which kind of gives him enhanced durability. And because of the nerve endings, he gains a capacity to endure more pain. I wouldn't say intense amounts of pain, but more pain. Uh, he comes back to school, and he is excited because Katie wants to talk to him, and uh, Katie wants to talk to him and chop it up. She wants to go get coffee. She's winning a buy. She's trying to, you know, uh, set up a date, and Dave's talking to his friends, and he's like, 
I don't get it. She's like totally into me, and yeah, like, because she was like in class, like like acting all like cool with him. Yeah, and she wouldn't say a word to him prior to this. So they're like, "Oh yeah, well, when they found you, you didn't have any clothes on." In the comics, he was able to get the outfit off and like stick it underneath a car. In the film, he the paramedics, the, the paramedics, EMT. yeah, he told the EMTs like, "Please trash the outfit I'm in because if anyone sees me in it, you know." It won't. I won't hear the end of it. So, but you get more of the inner monologue, like uh, the him thinking of the consequences in the graphic novel that I like. I like that the whole time he's in recovery, he's yeah. just thinking about his consequences. He's seeing like visions of his mother at like his bedside. Yeah, and he's like, you know, if anyone were to find me trying to play, you know, vigilante, it looks like I'm being suicidal, and my my dad would think I'm trying to leave him, and all this like real deep, uh, stuff that's coming from stuff there. that teenage kids think about when they're about to get in trouble all he kept thinking about was getting in trouble it's like i don't want to get in trouble yeah and uh he's able to come back like i said he's, he's back katie's all on him and uh like i said both in the comics and in the film when he is when he gets to the hospital the man has no clothes on so people kids new york kids <laughs> put two and two <laughs> together and they say well he was found naked but so was he film, found in a in in a like a known area for prostitution and drugs. So that's what we're told in the comics. In the comics, we're told that uh, because of the area and because of him being found naked, that the rumor has spread that not only is he gay, but he's a gay prostitute. And he's getting beat up by his clients. And he's getting beat up by his clients. <laughs> in, the, in, the film, in the film, it's just that he's gay. They found him and that he's gay. And Katie is positioned as the kind of person that fixes broken people. Yes, she like works at like a women's battered shelter or something. And she also tries to get people off of drugs, which uh, we find out a little bit about Razul because of that. But anyway, yeah, so Katie thinks that Dave is gay. In the book, Dave's all about it. He's like, I'll just play gay. It's kind of pathetic. Yeah, in the book, it's, I think it's worse. I think, I think in, it's way worse. Yeah, exactly. I think, I think in the think film, there's various points in which he, he wants to tell her. And I think had they went that way, the way of the comics in the film, it would have came. He would have came off as a creep. But boy, in the book, he's a huge creep. Like in the, the book, there's a part where she's like, "I rented, uh, you know, Queer Eye for the straight guy for you." And he's like, "Yeah, I love that." And it's like he's legitimately playing it up. Um, where, I mean, it's not like he doesn't play it up in the film. That does exist as well. But we, in both instances, Dave is just happy to get closer to Katie. And Katie, in the film, ends up telling him about this guy named Ra- Razul, who uh, has been harassing her. In, I, li- I actually like it better in the book. Because the Wasn't idea- it like a mission? Just a random up person. That's what, him. that's what it was. It was like a random mission got on MySpace. Yeah, up person contacted him and said that they were having problems with this guy, and if you can deal with it. Uh, so because he even went out of the way of saying, "This is my first real mission. This right. is my first real mission." Right. Because the fact that it was his first real mission uh, shows that he was in over in over his head. In the film, the fact that he was able to take Katie's like mission and go all the way to a drug dealer's house all the way like there's various points where he's inside Razul's house and I'm like do you not get 
what's going like yeah. that you are in over your own head and they will cut your head off and put it on that table and keep playing Spyro. They will be playing Spyro in the comics. Uh so it felt more believable in the book. I like how the chicken in the red dress was... had the same line. Yeah. Yeah. The oh I'm Ra- I'm Razul. Can't you tell I'm a big tits? Yeah, I was like, what? What? <laughs> that was a little bit much. But in either case, Dave tries to be the hero, and he talks to Razul. He's like, you need to stop harassing the person that you're harassing. And Razul's like, what the hell are you going to do about it? In the film, he uses a taser Yeah. to his face. In the book, he uses mace that was given to him by his father, who thinks that he's probably also gay and being harassed <laughs> by, his, by his clients. So that's that's funny there, too. But, uh, yeah, you, you're there, and... Razul has now been uh, tased, and he takes the little taser bits off, and he's ready to kill kick ass now. Because you come to my house, you randomly start talking about some girl that I kind of vaguely know, and then you taser me? Like, no, you're going to die here in this place. And right before Razul is able to land the first killing blow, we get a moment that I named one of the best moments in comic book history, which is the debut of Hit Girl. Yes. Would you like to talk a little bit about this? Uh, Stabs this man, Razul, right through the chest with katana blades. It was beautiful. And then what was what did she, what, what did she say? Like, let, let's see you cunt dance or something like that? Or yeah. Like, let, let's was, see what you was, guys got, basically. Yeah, it was it was something ridiculous. And in the comic, that knife through the, through the back out the chest happens. Just like the two knives through the chick in the red dresses back through the door yeah. happens and the guy outside notices. Which which then kind of puts me in a position. Like, when the beautiful moments are spell- spelled out so clearly in the comic and you just adapt them, do you get credit for that? I guess you do, right? Because you can still mess up that No, you can still mess that up. You can still mess that adaptation up so much. Because just because you have it there doesn't mean, like, uh, here, uh, Civil War, that Civil War, I guess, cover... Of like Captain America and and Tony Stark with the proton cannon like on the sh- the on the shield. Yeah, it looks beautiful done in the comic, but it looks so much more gorgeous in the way it looks in the movies, where the camera angles just through the pillars because of the buildup that led to that moment. Yeah, when you build in the comics, you don't get these visual buildups. You have to put it in your head what these buildups look like. Right. You're just getting the panels. You're getting the little storyboard ideas. So when you see the buildups on screen, you definitely get n- not more credit, but you definitely get credit for bringing that vision to life. Right. Yeah, because it isn't a apples to apples medium. So you the, know, the introduction, to... the hit girl is beautiful in the comic. Like, she just just this five, like three foot five yeah, little eight year old girl with pink tails and like she just looks cool. But Chloe Grace Moretz sells everything I would have imagined hit girl to look and sound like. Yeah. Uh, when they first meet, they're playing the song that plays while she's massacring everybody is from this old show I used to watch called the Banana Splits. I remember the Banana Splits, the, like the dog, the, dog, the monkey, and uh, I can't remember the third one. But they're just driving around the little clown car, Cartoon Network. Thank you for remembering that show. I'm like the only person that remembers. Yeah, and, and when you talk about it to other people, they're like, "What? Like, what is the Banana is Splits?" And I'm like, what? "No, bro, they were in costume and they were just walking around." It was a '60s. Car- it was a '60s sketch show Beatles. from Cartoon Network. Yeah, exactly, Beatles, that's what it was. Yeah. It was in the height of that era. Yeah, Banana so, Splits, man, I remember that. Banana Splits. So I thought that was pretty cool that they were able to include that into this film because I, I, you know, have a soft spot for it. Um, in the book. 
she basically massacres everybody and is like, come on. In the film, she massacres everybody but one. And when that person attempts to kill her, he is shot down by Big Daddy. And we get an introduction to Big Daddy. Which uh, is really in their, in, in their origin in the books. Yeah. Which I like because a lot of the conversations that Big Daddy and Hit Girl had in the movie, in that one uh, little diner for ice cream, yeah. they had over missions. Like where he's telling like, what's John Woo's first film? What's a small I mean, watching, AR-15? Watching him shoot her, <laughs> that's a big moment in both yeah. the book and in the uh, film. In the film, we see it early on. Yeah, I think that's it, like what introduced us to them. In the book, uh, it's in a flashback kind of origin. This is the origin of uh, Hit Girl and Big Daddy. And I kind of like that origin, but I was like how they were able to adapt the dialogue of that origin to just a conversation on Mindy's birthday. That's what it was. It was Mindy's birthday, and she's like flinging around the butterfly knife, and he's asking her all these questions. What was a smaller caliber AR-15? What is John Woo's first film? And in the comics, she says, you know, I'm not a normal girl. I didn't have a normal girl's upbringing. I don't like what normal girls like. And we get a little bit of that when they're in the diner. And she's like, oh, yeah, you know what I want for my birthday? I want a Bratz doll. And I want, you know, this, that. And she, he gives her a look like, are you serious? She's like... I'm just screwing with you. I do. I want a butterfly knife and, you know. With like a pearl-tipped end. And he's like, oh, darling, you knock me for a loop, you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, we get Big Daddy, Nicolas Cage as Big Daddy. Um, Couldn't be Superman, couldn't bit. be Batman, decided to be Big Daddy. Let's talk a little bit about the uh, character design for Big Daddy because I think that if you're reading the book, that's the first big thing that you notice. It kind of reminds me of... Um, one of these uh guys from uh I think it was Young Justice. Mm-hmm. Um, what's her is her name? Art not Ar- is her name Arsenal or Artemis? Artemis. Artemis's father was who game master or, some, or sports master so. some right. something like that. Uh-huh. And he had like a, this like trench coat jacket and like red bandana over his mouth. Right. That's what kind of reminded me of Big Daddy's design. It kind of reminded me of the, that girl Artemis, her father from the Young Justice show. The way his design looked. Yeah, because basically all Big Daddy is is a guy with a kind of like a Zorro, a red Zorro mask um, and armor. He also looked huge in the yeah, comics. He was also he, very, like, very he, big. He, his shoulders were like stacked. But decidedly, in the film, they went for a very Batman-esque aesthetic. Yeah, don't, don't you ever hear that um, Matthew Vaughn hates Batman or, or hates the, the, hate, the Christian Bale Batman? He hated the Christian Bale Batman voice. Uh, so he was fine with what Nicolas Cage's choice of portrayal ended up being, which was Adam West as Batman. All in a, what, it was just a joke? He was just joking in the costume? Like, he was just getting fit? Uh, Nick Cage? Yeah, you yeah. Have here, he was just like joking. in dress rehearsal, he's doing the Adam West. Yeah, here it is, modeled his speech. Yeah, in, in dress rehearsal, he's putting the full Adam West. And, um... Vaughn was just cool with it because he was like, that's way better than... Well, you know what? If the director's cool with it, man, then I'm cool with it because... But that death scene is just so ridiculous. It just makes me... Oh, man. Uh, But right here, not moving any further, how do you feel about the two Big Daddies, Comic Big Daddy and uh, Live Action Big Daddy? Right here, because obviously it's going to get a little bit more uh, different as as the story progresses. But right here in this moment... They seem the same. Yeah. They're they're one and the same. Like, it doesn't really seem like... uh, Matthew Vaughn or Nicolas Cage did anything different than, than my idea because yeah I had um um the my idea in the, in my head before reading Kick Ass so I'm like okay think of all the characters and then let's see if it matches and yeah Nicolas Cage really does match with this uh 
Damon McGreedy or McGreedy. Yeah, so th- that's another thing. Uh, we never got Big Daddy's first name in the comic. It was only McCready. And um, he did, besides the outfit that he had on, he didn't really add anything. It was Nick Cage's idea to add handlebar mustaches to his mustache. Did you catch that? He, he, yeah. He had attachments to his mustache as part of his... Co- as part yeah, of his, right, uh, when his friend was, like, coming to talk to him in, like, the middle of the movie or towards the end. Yeah. And uh, he's just putting on the mustaches himself. Right. Uh, he... he as extension mustache extensions, I guess you would call them. But you know what? That's something that Nicolas Cage would do. Yeah, that's so Nicolas Cage that it works for me. Yeah. Uh, but 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 later on, Kickass. Oh, we didn't even get to the part where Kickass goes viral. So Kickass, prior to all this going on, oh, which is basically yeah, the same from the comics. Yeah, he is he trips somebody by mistake in the comics. He was getting into an argument because people thought he was like some sort of pedophile. Like yeah, like pedophile flasher. <laughs> yeah, like, you're walking around. He was luring fifteen girls, fifteen year old girls. I thought that was so funny. He's like trying to save New York, and people are just accosting him on the street, going like, "We know perv, you. We know get your out kind. Of here. You, you perv." And he's like, "What? I'm just here to help." He uh, trips. He trips some guy, and that guy apparently was being sought after by three other guys, and he defends. That guy against the three other guys, and somebody catches it and goes viral. I thought it was funny in the book was an onlooker just films it. In the film, he asked that man to go get help. And the guy's like, nah, screw it. I'm just going to tell everybody there's yeah. a fight going on outside. I thought that was that was pretty funny. People say, because the main social media thing on here is MySpace, that it's dated. This movie feels dated. But I feel like the viral nature of how Kick-Ass gets popular is as... No, that's definitely like... That's n- contemporary. Yeah. I mean, Catch Me Outside, Salt Bay, like, Kick-Ass would be at a viral sensation. You'd that's be a just new meme. Y- yeah, exactly. Um, but, yeah, he his popularity blows up. They get merch deals and stuff. Like, he's, <laughs> uh, the Atomic Comics, the place they like to hang out, has a bunch of his merch. Yeah, like uh, I like in the comic book where they're selling shirts, Red Mist over Kick-Ass. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think, I also thought it was cool that once he meets Big Daddy and Hit Girl, Big Daddy and Hit Girl do like this cool like dismount off the building. First they jump from building to building. Then when they get to the other side of the building, they do like a cool grappling hook dismount. Um, And... Something comes across my mind at the same time that it comes across the protagonist's mind, which is the idea that, oh, these guys are way better <laughs> than, than, than Kick-Ass. Like, they, they, this is what they do. This yeah. is not them just going out to try this. This is what they do every day. They're way better at this than uh, Kick-Ass. Did you get that feeling, too? Oh, yeah, definitely. Because they have, well, besides the fact that they have training, they have a headquarters. Yeah. Like, a legit headquarters with... Being able to fight and have guns, they have weapons, and they know what they're doing. Yeah, in a sense, in a, in a oh god, I can't. I'm still having, so, <laughs> so it's hard to to really. It's hard to get behind uh, Big Daddy after reading the book. We're, we're almost oh, there. Man, we're almost there. It so, is just so hard. So we see a lot of Big Daddy and Hit Girl's relationship. They are. It is loving. You know, they are loving. Uh, Hit Girl seems quasi interested in the mission but more so to 
make her dad proud and because it's something he truly believes in. Um, and he's telling her that this is we. He's telling her, and he eventually tells us that he was always the honest cop, Damien McCready, and he was framed by uh, Frank D'Amico and put in jail. And so his wife commits suicide, thinking that he's a dirty cop. And uh, with just Mindy and now Damon together without the wife, uh, it's up to them to redeem the idea of, I guess, the McCready name and and get their final revenge on the person who not only framed him for drugs, but killed his, seemingly killed his wife. Because drove his wife, his wife to suicide. Drove his yeah. wife to suicide, definitely. Um, and so you see... That it took years of training. It took years. I mean, you gotta think. What what age do you think Mindy was when he first started a teacher bullets and calipers and all that? I mean, you know, bullet calipers well, and all that. Kind uh, of stuff. that did they mention a timeline of how long they've been doing it for? I don't remember them saying because so. in the book, I think they went out of their way to mention that she was like a, only like a twelve year old girl. Yeah. So it'd be it looked like they'd be doing it since she was eight in the book. So in the movie, I imagine she's doing it since around 10 and she's like 13 in the movie. Yeah. Uh, Frank D'Amico is the de facto crime boss of New York City. Um, Everyone's afraid of him. The guy's rich. That apartment is immaculate. (laughs) Um, And so you have Frank there overrunning the entirety of the criminal enterprise in New York City. But at the same time that Kick-Ass is getting more and more popular... All of Frank's warehouses are being raided by a costume vigilante. So he is trying to put two and two together. He thinks that Kickass is the one causing him all this trouble. Oh, yeah, it goes out of his way that I think where he ki- he thought he killed him in the middle of the street. Oh my god! At one point, he sees a Kickass cosplayer and shoots him. And great editing because then it just goes up to him and he's like, "What do you mean people are dressing up like Kickass?" I thought it was I thought that was really really good. But Mark Strong as Frank D'Amico, I think, does a great job. Um, at one point, he thinks that one of the guys that he works with is stealing drugs because he had given the guy drugs to sell. The guy has no drugs and no money. And the guy saying, no, a guy that kind of maybe sort of dressed like Batman. I didn't say Batman. <laughs> I didn't say he was Batman. I just say he kind of looked like Batman. No, you got it in the reports here. It says yeah. Batman. Yeah. He got robbed by Big Daddy, basically. Big Daddy and Hit Girl, uh, you know, took the drugs. And they've been a thorn in D'Amico's side this entire film. But he doesn't know it. He just thinks that... He actually thinks that his dealer's lying. And eventually he comes to some sort of um, revelation. Like, oh, Do they no, even I'm throw being... the Russian into yeah. a giant, supersized, like, industrial well, they... microwave? Well, first they want to throw him in the vice. Which, cl- it's classic Mafia 101. You put somebody's head in a vice, you make it tighter and tighter and tighter... Until uh, they give you the information that you want, so they go the uh, they ain't got no vice, boss. And they're like, well, what, "What are you gonna do?" He's like, "Oh, they got this microwave," <laughs> and so they think they're gonna torture this guy with the threat of being microwaved. He was in there five pressing, seconds by pressing microwave, <laughs> and so the guy can't hear anything inside the microwave, even though they're trying to question him. And even if he had the answers to save his own life, there's no point. He basically just explodes. I thought that was that was pretty funny. Just like the, uh, uh, um, I didn't say he was Batman stuff. I thought that was really funny too. There's also a moment where Frank goes to go accompany his son to a movie theater, or go see a movie, and it's 
him leaving the warehouse uh, with that guy who got robbed by Big Daddy. And he's talking to his son, uh, played by McLovin, Chris D'Amico. And you can hear the guy being tortured inside oh, in the, the background. Warehouse. Yeah, you hear as in soon as he leaves, you hear the screaming. You hear the guy being tortured, and then you hear him being shot. So uh, it just shows how distant Frank is from that line of work, like where he has no problems torturing and killing a man and then going to have, go see a movie with his son. Like, And I like uh, that uh, one of Frank's men and John in the book comic books, the same guy, just different character names, ended up being killed the same way by Big Daddy and Hit Girl in the car compactor, in the junkyard. In the, in the film, when the credits roll, uh, the Miko's uh, goons are attributed as posh, scary, sport. You're already shaking your head. Sporty. <laughs> you said posh. I already know. You're ginger going with this. and uh, baby. So the Spice Girls. The Spice Girls. Yeah, the Spice. Oh God. Uh, yeah, he was all about the Spice Girls. Um, but uh, posh spice. Jesus. Yeah, you have. I want in the film. Red Mist, I mean, sorry, in the book, Red Mist and Kick-Ass take on a flaming building. Yeah, I kind of liked that. I really liked that in the book because it kind of showed where um, Kick-Ass was as a hero. Yeah. Where Red Mist didn't want to deal with that. Where it's like there's real people that actually deal with that kind of thing. It's like, come on, let's just go anyways. But in the movie, it was... Red Mist's father's place that was on fire, and he was the one trying to get them to go in there. Yeah. And Kick-Ass was saying, oh, there's people that handle that. Yeah, they were. he was originally going to get Kick-Ass into that um, warehouse to unmask him. He was going to yeah. figure out who, what this Which was. Which would have been kind of cool, because that's how they do it in the comics. Right. Uh, so, after Big Daddy... Well, what Big Daddy's giving Frank D'Amico so much trouble that... Um, Chris D'Amico, the son, who doesn't get any respect from his father and his who his father thinks is in over his own head when it comes to this crime business, Chris is like, I'll pose as a superhero. I will befriend him. I will get him to drop his uh you know, his defenses and then we'll get him um you know, basically trap him. In the book, we're not privy to the fact that Red Mist is Chris D'Amico. No, and it kind of ruins it for me. I was kind of, when I was reading it today, I was kind of thinking to myself, like, if I read this book before watching Kick-Ass, that reveal kind of would have been cool. What do you think is better? I actually think the, the book reveal is yeah, better. Yeah, I was going gonna to agree with that one. The book reveal is way better. Because, like I said, if I didn't watch the movie, that would have been a really good twist to know. Yeah. To, like, not know. That would have been great. Like, holy crap. In you're the book, this it just seems like Red Mist is another popular vigilante who picked up the mantle when Kick-Ass decided that he was in over his own head. And they end up befriending each other. They smoke bud in the car and they drive around solving Rescuing cats from burning buildings. Yeah, they just, they're literally a, a dynamic duo. And in the book, Dave is so happy to have a friend in arms slash in capes. Yeah, and I like, like that little so monologue that a... he did where it's like, now I know why superheroes team up with each other. It's not because they're alone or because they need the help. It's because it's fun. Yeah. And it's like, you know, this is a 15-year-old kid dressed like Halloween every day in a sports car with another superhero. And believing that they're doing good. Believing that they're, they're, they are um, seeing their full potential. 
Like, what else is better than being able to patrol the streets and and let justice prevail in their eyes? They 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 feel like they are great. Um, I felt like Red Mist in the comic was a little bit more believable. Yeah, McLovin's a little bit, eh? but in the uh, in the film uh, to tie all this up with Red Mist and uh, Chris D'Amico. Uh, I actually like this scene where the, uh, Chris is like, well, if I'm going to be a superhero, I have to nab somebody. I have to like get somebody. I have to arrest somebody. And they're like, which which one of your guys can I just <laughs> arrest or whatever? <laughs> and they decide on some like some floozy, uh, which I thought was pretty funny because they're like, yeah, I don't really like him. Yeah, you could arrest him. So on the news... Although it was all orchestrated and pre-planned, it seems that Red Mist was able to take down a very high-ranking member of the the Miko family. Yeah, and so it looks like Red Mist is out there doing what Kickass can't. So Kickass decides to come through and um, find out what this Red Mist guy is about. In the comic, he was way more suspicious. He was more like, "I don't like." Yeah, Red Mist <laughs> seems more like, "Oh, I'm your biggest fan." Like, like a. Uh... What's his name? Buddy from Incredibles? Uh, Incredible Boy. Incredible Boy? Yeah. I'm your biggest fan. Right. Yep. He was telling Kickass he was his biggest fan. And I kind of like that in the book and in the movie, you kind of see Dave's frustration with the Red Mist towards where they were in the comic book store together in the movie. Dave's like, can you turn this crap off? Right. And in the book, like you were saying, because Red Mist has raised his profile and he's saving you know, people and catching mobsters... They now have red mist, red mist merch, and people are and preferring. He felt, yeah, and he felt really like upset about it. like I was the one that started this. This is my thing, you know. I decided to be the first world's first superhero. Yeah, you know, where's my credibility? So that's when he decides to pick up the mantle again, and he's like, you know, what? let me just dress up again. And so they basically become friends. Um, we were talking before about them trying to lure Kickass into Frank's uh, lumber warehouse and unmask him, but when they get there, it's on fire. And um, a lot of Frank's men are dead. Good thing, though, because Red Mist had hidden a teddy cam? The nanny, nanny cam, cam? yeah. The nanny cam that his own father bought that he didn't know that he bought. And we see another great sequence in the film. One that I got into the old Major Issues chat, and I was like, I can't see this and think that it has absolutely no bearings on the BVS warehousing. I I can't. It's almost one of the same to me. Like this. Yeah, is, it kind of really is in the bit. The shotgun stuff, the the grenade. There's a grenade moment where he throws it and you know ducks and stuff. He's fighting like, on fire in a warehouse. It's all it's all there. If you like the BVS moment from, I'm sorry, the Batman warehouse mo- scene from BVS, I implore you to watch Kick Ass and watch what they the scene that's called Big Daddy Kills because he does kill a, yeah a bunch of people. And that music that's in the background. More Henry Jackman. More Henry Jackman. Very reminiscent of uh, 28 Days Later. There's a very particular mounting track that they play behind this that that brings me to 28 Days Later. And I feel like there was another movie that used that same uh, thing. But so good. And then... Oh, yeah. Because my, favorite part of the, my favorite score of the entire movie was Hit Girl's okay. moment to shine when she's saving her father and kick-ass. Oh, yeah. And it is that, like, first-person shooter-type-looking thing. But the score that's just played, you can tell it's Henry Jackman. Every time I hear it, I hear First Class. I hear Frankenstein's monster all the time. Like, 
I love Frankenstein's Monster. Oh, it's that's great, that, yeah, it's such a great my, track. It's such a great track, and Henry Jackman just has that that guitar strumming, violin like ominous music that just plays that durner, durner. Like you just wait for it. Yeah. Um, Red Mist is terrified. He's like, this guy is not kick ass. You need to stop worrying about kick ass. Do you have another enemy like, on your back? Kick ass is not the problem. Yeah, this is like, the real problem. Kick ass is some real, kid. You got a real guy on your back. I've been chilling with kick ass. Kick ass is just a kid. You have to really, really, really see what what you're dealing with here with this big daddy. Um, and again, Dave is like, you know what? Screw this. I don't want to be kick ass. And he tells Katie. Yeah, in the book, <laughs> he like he, he like quits kick ass like a lot of times. Yeah. Because and from like months too. It's like one issue, like two panels will go by, and I'll say like six months later. Which is why I come around to this idea of it being such a strong cautionary tale. Like he, at many points, feels like he is in over his own head, and feels like he can't um, do this. Uh, so we talked about the deviation with Red Mist. For the most part, when you're reading the comic book, you don't know that Red Mist is Chris D'Amico, so you don't know that Red Mist is actually there to turn on Kickass. But in the film, you do. Now let's get to this I, the second of what I call three big changes. The second change is, in true Hollywood fashion, Dave is able to go by Katie and say, Katie, I'm kick-ass and I'm straight. Katie forgives him, becomes his girlfriend, and they screw. Dan, would you like to tell the people how this happened in the comics? Oh, God. All right. So he, instead of going into her, into her room... And like standing in, in the most stalkerish, breaking and entering fashion of the movie that they could have possibly done. It girls brushing her hair, and he's like screaming, "I'm kick ass!" While the air hair dryer is going. But in the comic, he decides to go to in front of her window at night and scream, "I'm kick ass!" and "I'm not gay." Oh yeah! And, like, <laughs> and then he jumps he into he the bushes. Away. Yeah, he runs away. And he's like, "What?" And then come the end, she she comes up to him and says, hey, listen, someone came to my window and said, I'm not gay. Uh, I want to know if that was you. He's like, yes, it's me. I've been in love with you ever since I first saw you. I, I go to sleep. I think of you. I wake up. I think of you. I want to be your boyfriend. I want to be there for you. And she flips out as she probably should. You're as a she should have in the in the film. She screams, "You're a creep. You're a stalker." You've been being gay this entire time. You were in my house. You were in my bed at some points. We've had yep. sleepovers. All this kind of stuff. Her boyfriend comes and says, "Is there a problem?" She's like, "Yeah, I want you to kick this guy's ass," and he kicks his ass. Yeah. So that's one of the also one of the three big and changes. The creepiest part of this entire entire book. The creepiest thing was. When he was narrating his life, after he gets caught, after he goes home and catches his father having sex on the couch, and he's upstairs and saying how bad his life is again, he gets a text message. He gets like fifteen hundred like text messages from Katie's friends, like hate mail, and a picture message of Katie giving her boyfriend head. Oh yes, I do remember that. And yes. he's like, and he's like, uh, and I'm not gonna try and be creepy or anything. Not the words you want to start, when but see, yeah. he starts off with, I don't want to be creepy or nothing, but. I kind of jerked off to it, too. Yeah, 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 that yeah. picture. There's a lot of jerking like, off in the comic. There's a lot there's of jerking off. There's a jerking off in the film. Yeah, there's a one scene where he does end up getting caught. Yeah, yeah. But uh, and there's also a scene where he was cleaning. he's cleaning the suit. And his father thought it was jerking yeah, off, yeah. Cleaning, yeah, he's just cleaning the suit. Um, how do you feel about that change? Do you feel that it makes or breaks the film? The characterizations of the characters? Do you uh, think it changes the narrative? As far as, friend, as, far as like... Uh, story like uh, franchises go 
it kind of works for a sequel for them to the way they broke up in the second one was pretty funny. So it's weird. I find the scene of them doing it in the alley very uncharacteristic. Yeah, it, it kind of yeah, takes it out for me a little bit because he's not like that in the and comic. Either, and I didn't think she was like, right? I mean, <laughs> you're the you're the one out there like trying to help everybody and stuff like that. Maybe you were just full of adrenaline in that moment. But when they're out there having a quickie, I it just didn't. Seem I guess to it's me how like, like uh, all I don't want to say that's how all guys see girls, but I guess that's how all I guess that's how all guys see girls. Like, yeah, if even if they're like this good church girl, straight laced, they still have a little bit of freak in them. I guess so, uh, but. Gun to your head. Oh, this is the this is the uh, movie to talk about that. Which one would you prefer? I like the happy com- ending I, or uh, I like the comic. Ending? I like the comics ending because it just stuck true to the tone of the. It didn't change tone from start to finish, from issue one to issue eight. There wasn't a tone switch in the movie. There was a lot of tone switches, and yeah, when you're following different people's stories, they're gonna be tone switches. But as far as Dave's story goes. It kind of seems like he got everything he wanted too early. Is it in the comic or in the book where he says, um, someone asks him about it. He's like, don't worry. Couples have stories that they tell each other. You know, like like in 20 years, this will just be a funny story that we tell our grandkids about how we the, got together. I think it was both the movie and the comic. But I do remember that in the comic. Uh, yes, it was the comic. Um, I say that because, because his friend told him that, he, that, that, uh, that everyone thought he was gay. Yeah. And his internal monologue is, oh, this is going to be something cute that couples tell their grandkids. Yeah. I don't think that Mr. Uh, Dave thought this through. I think that he played gay for way longer than he should. Um, should have never played gay in the first place. I think he probably should have never played gay in the first place. That's so creepy. He did go harder in the comic. So maybe we're led to believe that if he went less hard... Are you sure? Because they spray tanned each other in the movie. Like, she was yeah. there holding her naked breasts with her hands. Like, yeah. he went that far to see a girl naked just by playing gay. Either way, there's no there's no girl worth it enough to lie about your sexuality to get closer to her. Especially to get beat up at the end of it. But this idea that, like, oh, I will fake my sexuality... To get closer. Yeah, to no, no girl is worth that. No, and no girl's going to accept that. Not, every not girl, in 2018. Every not girl in 2018. is going to respond the same way Katie does in the comic. The which realistic is, are you, way. Are you kidding me? You're a fucking This creep. is sickening. You're... Get out of here. Yeah, so I, I actually really, really like that. But they're together, so screw it, right? And change number three, the biggest... Oh, we're going to go a little bit to change two real quick because after she becomes his girlfriend, Red Mist calls up uh, Kick-Ass and was like, do you know any other crime fighters? Like, you know, like I've heard this guy, Big Daddy, whatever. We should like all team up together. We should all get together and stuff like that. In the book, when they um, they go to answer a call and when they open the door, it's the mobster surrounding a bloody Big Daddy and Hit Girl. In the um, film, Kick-Ass leads Red Mist right to <laughs> the hideout for Big Daddy and Hit Girl. Yeah. And while they, while Big Daddy is hesitant about taking new superheroes on, Hit Girl's like, we could use the help, especially for this mission about taking out the mobsters. So yeah, but even Big Daddy in the comic was like, you know, these guys don't know what they're doing. They're inexperienced. They're dweebs. Like, 
You know, yeah. we need to, we're trying to avenge your mother and all this. So in the film, once they get to one of Big Daddy's safe houses, Red Mist shoots Hit Girl out of a window, and then they capture Big Daddy. Um, don't they shoot her? They shoot her out of the window. They in the shot comic, her right? out of the window in the comic as well, right? Yeah, in the comic. Yeah, they thought she was dead though. Yeah, like she like she had like her hand spread, her back was towards everybody. They were like had like fifteen bullets in her, and then she just falls falls out the window. But in the comic is when we get the moment of Red Mist being Chris D'Amico. The entire time, we do not know until he is brought to Big Daddy and uh, Hit Girl, which is his goal entirely because that's the people that is ruining his father's uh, criminal empire. Yeah, like he he was he puts a gun to his back. And, and even in the comics, he's like, he knows that he doesn't really know anything. It's just, my father won't believe me until like, like unless I like torture you. Like, right. like he was telling like, I don't want to torture you, but I just have to to make it look real. In the film, we get a real feeling of disconnect between the father and son. I don't think we really get that in the book. In the book, we're only told that he's very rich and he's kind of a loner. Yeah, you don't really get you don't go into depth with the D'Amico's in the book as far as you do with the movie or the Genevieve. The Genevieve's, Genevieve? yeah, Genevieve? you don't really see the Genevieve's too much in the book, right? Um, but then we get to basically what you can call Act, well, two and a half, not Act three, but. Uh, now that they got Kick-Ass and Big Daddy, Frank uh, gets his thugs to torture and eventually try to execute both of them on a live internet broadcast. Uh, it wasn't live in the... No, no one even knew what was going down. In yeah, the... in the book, no one even knew what was going down. I did like the idea that you were viral and you have now created uh, copycats. Yeah, it was like poetic justice. So really. you should, people, those copycats should now see what happens to a guy like you in this situation. And it's often often said in the book during this torture scene, like, this is what happens. Like, you thought this was all hard to start the horseshoes. You thought this was going to be like your uh, Superman Returns moment. Nah. Yeah, like, that's what I love. Where he's just really like, happens. you know, I'm just a kid. I'm, just, you know, I, I didn't do anything to you. He's like, well, you're in trouble now. That's great. Like even if you're a, even if you you didn't do anything to us, you have a you know we, you've seen our face. We can't risk it. Yeah. In no, so this is where things take a turn. In probably what I would consider the biggest deviation. Yeah, this from is the, the comics biggest. and the film. Because in the book they torture the men separately. They have Big Daddy in one room and they have Kick Ass in another, and they are. They are basically scorching Kick-Ass's testicles because they have him rigged up to a car battery and they are just, they are electrocuting the hell out of him where he can smell his burnt hairs on his arm. Uh, in the same sense, they have... It smells like toast. Yeah, they have Big Daddy in another room and they're torturing him. In the film, they have them both there and they're not necessarily torturing them because there's no information they want to get. They're no, just, they just want to kill him. They're, they're, they're making a statement. But in the comics... <laughs> uh, they're trying to get information about Big Daddy out of Kick-Ass, and they can't because he doesn't know anything. Kick-Ass was, Kick was told the same story that we were, that he was a cop, he didn't play uh, He didn't play by the rules, and so people killed his wife. And I, at one point, he's even called Frank Castle. He's like, this guy is basically Frank Castle, which is that's Frank Castle's... Yeah, and that's what one of my funniest uh, lines where he's like, you know... Where he didn't, where he was talking to uh, Chris D'Amico before he knew he was uh, Chris Genevieve's, where they were considering teaming up with them after Hit Girl and Big Daddy said, "Listen, if you don't team up with us, we're gonna put your information on the internet." Uh -huh. And that's when he started deciding, oh, "Listen, maybe we should team up with them." It's like 
But then he's like, yeah, but they kill people, you know. And then he had that little, I guess, I don't know if it was, I can't remember if it was a monologue or if he did say something. But he was like, you know, Spider-Man would jump at the opportunity to team up with Frank Castle. But he wouldn't want to be in his Vietnam-styled war. And when, and when, yeah, and when you, when you're looking for a partner in crime or just a team to join up with, the big guy with the military-esque weapons and the uh, know-how and the little assassin, it's not a bad look. These guys know how to take some bodies. Um, there are Wolverine. At various point, where where at various points, it is expressed that we shouldn't be looking at Big Daddy at, as such a hero because he has ultimately stolen the childhood of Hicker. How do you feel about that? Oh, has he stolen the childhood from Hicker? Oh yeah, yeah. Should he be looked at as a hero? Oh no. Oh no. No, he is not a he is not a hero. He's not even a hero in the slightest. <laughs> in the book, he's also carrying around this luggage. He has like this silver suitcase. He has a silver suitcase, those hard cover suitcases. He's been carrying around Swansonite. We're, we're told that this is how he funds their operations. This is probably how he find gets the guns and the armor and all this other kind of stuff. Uh, so I think it's time. To, I think it's time to drop it. Oh my god! I so in dude, the, my face was so. Long. This is our first time talking about it. Yeah. I, told, I told you last time I saw you. No, I said I, read I the. Felt, I said I felt read, you needed me to read I it. I said read. I said if you don't read it, I I will express what the tri- twist is on the podcast to get your organic uh, reaction. But you have read it, so I'll talk about it, and we will talk about it. Oh uh, my god! We find so out. Sick. That, we find out that. Um, Big Daddy ends up saying, uh, admitting that he's not a cop. He's never been a cop. That he, he's an accountant. That he's an accountant. He was an accountant who was bored, bored with his life, and kidnapped his daughter. And basically, like his wife is alive. His wife just never cared about or. Yeah, he says he's like, I I hated my life. I was married to a wife that hated me. I was an accountant. I was bored. His suitcase is comic books. Suitcase, it's filled with priceless number ones. And you even see amazing fantasies, like as an apparent drawn as the top comic. Why wouldn't that be the first one you sell? But I get it. So in the film, we're told that this guy has a vendetta. His wife is dead. They ruined his life. So him and his daughter will go and exact that revenge. Even the character design of the investigated detective that the wife hired to look for them looks like his best friend in the movie. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That he looks like the exact character design of that exact cop that was that played his friend. So we have... We, oh, and, and to add insult to injury... Um, like I said in the film, Frank D'Amico's going crazy because he's like, they keep busting my my operations. They keep stealing my drugs and my guns and killing my men and setting my places on fire. And that means something when you when we live in a world where Big Daddy's telling the truth because he is bringing hell to D'Amico for what he has gotten. In the comics... Uh, D'Amico, a.k.a. Genevieve, is like, why me then? Why the hell, if if we didn't kill your wife and all this stuff happened, why me? And he basically says, we needed a villain. That's so great. He just says, we needed a villain. We needed a villain. I love it. So he 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 got the Wheel of Fortune. He spun the wheel. He picked <laughs> the biggest, baddest crime boss and decided to play superhero 
with his very young, impressionable daughter, who is now a trained assassin. The book paints Big Daddy in such a different view. Dark, evil, cynical than it, man. Then, then it plays in the in the uh, in the film. At least in the film, he looked like you know, like he went crazy because like D'Amico like basically frames him as a dirty cop. Sends him away to jail for like years and he loses everything. So it's like, you know what? I'm going to make you lose everything. So it looks like he's doing it for a reason. This, he was just bored. His th- All of his violence and his actions seem over the top. But when given the idea that the love of his life was taken away from him, we were all on board. Once you find out that that's not the case and you look back at the things that he's done, he's just crazy. He's just a crazy man. He's a crazy freaking guy. He's, he's like i'm just like you dave i was just a super fan he even he calls himself a super fan yeah he had a trunk full of comics it was just books. comic books bro no your mom is oh, fine oh and she's home i just wanted to oh my i just was bored God. i wanted to bring some adventure and so oh, you couldn't have done it on your own Oh, man, and then you take your, like, eight-year-old daughter on the road. So how do you feel about the omission of this? Necessary or no? Does Do, do you feel like, hmm. would you have preferred it to stick more faithfully to the comic, or do you like the idea that Big Daddy remains a hero? In this? See, I, I love the story they gave us of Big Daddy's reveal in the comic, but you can't sell this as a movie. You couldn't get away with it. They will be uproar and pitchforks out the ass. They will be mobs probably, at the door. Probably more for uh, Hit Girl, right? The idea that she doesn't even have to... Like, there was a lot of people upset when when all the trailers and stuff and all that other kind of craziness started. No, I remember the uproar of, of like, uh, that they didn't like the fact that yeah. it, was, it was a 12-year-old girl yeah, you had, cursing <laughs> and, and killing you had the Australian Family Association uh, basically say that the language was offensive and the values that were inappropriate uh, without the saving grace of bloodless victory of traditional superheroes. Uh, and they accused the, the film saying that Hit Girl was made to look as seductive as possible. I don't, I don't think she that. was seductive. She I, was that's... like 13. I don't well, know. Even, okay, even if you want to like, let's, let's take the age up for a second. Mm-hmm. Let's say she was an our age Adult, or let's say we're right now thirteen years holding hosting this podcast. Uh-huh. If I look at Hit Girl as who, how she acted, and the mannerisms, and the way she moved in the movie, there was nothing seductive about her. She was a scary person. I would argue maybe more in the second when she's like starts to feel herself. As okay, a when woman. she would no when <laughs> she when she was Mindy McCready. Yeah. In the second movie, yes, she was trying. That looked like the camera was trying to paint her at like the second movie. Looked like they were basically giving her an orgasm while she was watching uh, One Direction on TV. Right, right, right. And she even says like, "What the hell was that?" Union and everything. Jack. Union J. Yeah, Union J. Union J. Oh god, but uh, no, th- th- I couldn't see Hit Girl be more be seductive. A night Bitch from Kick Ass Two looked more seductive. I can't believe those names. But doesn't he write something similar to Night Bitch when he's writing down the names for his own? Uh yeah he he did write night bitch like badass I, th- I, think I think at one point he would think about night kicker himself. or something like that or ass kicker and all that weird something and... ridiculous so you go I I I like the movies big daddy hero I I think it's gonna have to go big daddy hero okay because I just don't think you can sell that properly there's there's no dialogue there's no way you can write the story I can't see that getting over I also think it's amazing that with uh with an adaptation that's so tight almost 
you know, panel by panel with the film that I was still able to be surprised. Yeah. Because I'm reading this book going, I've seen this, I know this scene, that I know this scene, I know this scene, I know this scene. Because when they were showing that Chris, uh, what Chris uh, Genovese was, was Red Mist, in my head I'm like, I already knew this from the book, I already knew this from the movie, so this kind of took it away from me. But as soon as they got to the reveal of who Big Daddy was, my mind was blown, my mouth was open wide, my eyes were bulging, I yeah. just could not believe what I was reading. And then when she, the hit girl finally kills everybody, she takes her mask off, she looks at, at Kick-Ass, and she's like, would you hug me? Well, My dad first, just died. First, he goes to consult her, and he go, she says, more, no, oh, fight no, now, yeah, mourn later. Yeah, fight now, mourn later. We got things to do. And then after she kills everybody, she unmasks and is like, now we can, you know. Now she's like, can you hug me? My dad just died. She's like <laughs> snot running down her and nose. She's still, yeah, and she's still prepubescent child. So, um, to finish out the comic book ending of this, because it's way different than the than the film ending, um, Kickass kind of like starts to be like, "I'm only a 15 year old boy, yada yada yada." Please, yeah, he don't. quits in a sense yeah, again in for a lot of time. In a lot of ways, and he, when he was tortured, he said he admitted to just admitting everything. <laughs> he admitted to like, uh, "My name is this. My family lives here. My girlfriend's name is." He he sang like a canary, is what he said, uh, but. What I think is very, very important is the fact that in the comic, after Big Daddy has announced all this and it's found out that he has his comics and it, nothing dangerous is in the suitcase, it's just comics, and that he's not an ex-cop, n- none of that stuff is true, um, Kick-Ass starts to bargain for his own life. And when he does, they pick up Big Daddy by the head and they shoot him through the back of the head. The illustration on that blow through the yeah they shoot him from the back of the head to the front yeah so the illustration of like his nose being his ripped eye. off his eye all of that Jr Jr I was once like, again is the man wow for that. that is gory yeah it was I was like they so, came, so Big Daddy definitely died from a a sh- uh, gunshot to the back of the head in the comics that's not the way it goes in the film in the film they have everybody watching um this internet live broadcast of a massacre they beat the living hell out of big daddy and kick ass like they beat him down they're hitting him in the balls uh they're hitting him with brass knuckles with baseball bats all kinds of stuff and then they're doing it all at once like they're doing it in pieces and then they're doing it all All, together together they're really they're really playing this up and they're really trying to show the world like you don't want any you don't want to mess with my bosses think twice if you ever think about not only getting dressed up, but getting dressed up and dealing with the crime here in, in, in New York City. So um, they are be- they are being beaten. And then when you think that everything is, is everything that's bad has already been done because they've been punched and there've been uh, bones broken, there's blood everywhere, they pull out uh, kerosene, I believe. And they start to pour kerosene over both men and threaten to set them on fire. Uh, and the lights go out. And when the lights go out, we get first person shooter uh Mindy McCready <laughs> and With the we night get vision see, goggles. We get to see Hit Girl in all her glory kill numerous guards and henchmen. Uh, with knives and like these really clean. She really and- is the saving grace of the action of this movie. Like if yeah. you look, think back of all the dope action long shots, it yeah. all came from Hit Girl. And she's also the reason why I know a uh. A Robin would work. Like everyone's always talking about, oh, do you really want a kid actor? I think a Batgirl would work after seeing Kick Ass. Well, a lot of people say, like, you know, 
Chris O'Donnell was Robin. Robin was what? 30, 30. Damn he was 30 in that film or something like that. You can have a kid. And Damian Wayne is trained by the League of Assassins. So you can have a little crazy, you know, screws loose kid that Batman has to rein in and be like, no. And he's like, well, granddad said that. That's you why they should just cancel Gotham, take that child actor that played young Bruce Wayne and make him Damien. That actually wouldn't be a bad idea. Throw him in the gym for like a couple of years. Throw him in the gym for like two years. Gym. Get him like bulk on some like carbs and protein. Bring him back. He has the fair white skin. He has that nice like black straight hair. He looks like Damien. Yeah. He looks like Damien, but he's playing Bruce. None like up him. is down, mass hysteria. Yeah, I dig it. Um, but to finish out this scene, after she kills all the gangsters, it still doesn't matter because one of the gangsters is able to throw the lighter onto the kerosene and Big Daddy. Child, yes. grab it, child. He is. He says what the Robin, Robin something. He says, he's, like, Robin? Uh, he's, t- he's giving her move. He's telling her what to do. I noticed it when I was watching it, like when I was re rewatching it for this. Everything she was doing where she was taking off like the strobe light and putting it down and moving around and shooting, that's what he was telling her to do. Yeah, he was instructing her. Yeah, he was like, take it and put it down now. Go there. And I'm like, wow, he's giving her fucking... That's dope. I thought it was great. As he started kind of dying. Um, They get past everybody, but... Big Daddy succumbs to his burns. He is set on fire. I love you, child. I think she could have saved him. I don't like. She could have saved him. I'm watching. I don't know about burns though. Like maybe something did happen eternally. She she had like 95 percent of the bad guys dead, and he was only burning at the knees. She would have saved. She did put like a fire blanket on him. Yeah, like he would. He by the time like she killed everybody, the fire was 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 only at where you could have saved him. And I was also kind of confused because. They leave him. So yeah. couldn't like CSI be like, oh, well, this is uh, Damon McCready and he and had a daughter and where's his daughter at? Oh, we got a little girl on camera killing a bunch of people. Like, And what also gets me confused is they were both doused in flames. Oh, kick-ass. How is kick-ass not on fire? I mean, Harvey Dent ends up getting half his body burnt from just a fireball being blown next to him. This is true. So Kick-Ass should definitely have been on fire with Yeah, him. and people say things like, you know, there's many points in which Kick-Ass should have been straight up caught. Like, if you see if you see the viral video of the guy in the green scuba suit and there's only one store that sells green scuba suits, <laughs> then you would just trace yeah. trace that order to that town and be like, okay, yeah. Or the, sec- or the second that, you know, the guy in a green and yellow scuba suit started getting too much attention, I think me as an M- M- EMT worker would have had to have just bit- went to the cops and say, listen, By I picked way, up a kid yeah, named Dave Lewitsky we- that's in the same. Like, there's so many reasons why he would have been out. caught. Yeah. At least in the comic book, it went out of his way to show that in my dazed stupor of being stabbed and hit by a car, I must have I, taken I my costume off and thrown it somewhere. You're begging an EMT worker. I'm sorry, but there's no EMT worker in history that's not going to write this in, down in their report. In the comic, we get the now the uh, serum, right? Yes. The comic is when we get the serum. And I, I don't think she... I think, she, yeah, she takes it in the elevator. Yes. Right so in the comic, we find out that Big Daddy has given uh, Hit Girl a serum that's only to be used um, in case, in case of, of emergency. What we, is this? Cocaine? Yeah, he asks her if it's cocaine. Don't be such a lame brain. I love yeah, that. He, he asks her if it's cocaine, and she's like, no, give me the strength of 10 men. Don't worry about it. You know, daddy made it for me. He made it uh, using science. And so. I like how they did it in Kick-Ass 2, where it looks like 
Mother Russia thinks it's a poison. Right. And she ends up putting it into her herself. So the exact thing that Hit Girl wanted to do by injecting herself with the adrenaline is what Mother Russia did for her. Exactly. So that, that plot point carries over to Hit Hit Hitman. Kick ass uh too. But in But this, at least we see it in the movie. Yeah. In the book she just loads up on it. In the film, she just shows up to Frank D'Amico's uh door, kills a bunch of the uh guards. Watching her with that gun, that humongous, like a Desert Eagle, when she had it in that in the guy's mouth with the pigtails and the, yeah. the school girl outfit, it was like that is comic books. Like all all of that, that entire imagery is comic books. Yeah, but, it kind of had a, like a, a shoot 'em up vibe. Oh, and that's definitely what we get because Hit Girl infiltrates the headquarters, kills numerous guards and henchmen. Uh, they got bad reputation playing, you know, going all crazy. Uh, she runs out of bullets. Um, and then, right when they think that um, everything doesn't kick ass, show up to fight Red Mist, uh, or is that after? Yeah, the- no, no. This is this. Uh, what happened? Yeah, what happened was is uh, while Hit Girl was doing all of that, Kick Ass was still um, reading the. He was getting the manual set up. Oh yeah, for the yeah. And then he doesn't fight. I think he doesn't fight Red Mist till like the like the last fight. Right. Because then, like, he comes in with a bazooka. After he, like, stops Red Mist, he comes in with a bazooka and shoots. Well, first he shows up with a um, well, jetpack. Yeah, the jetpack with the deterrence on him. Which was not in the film. No, in the in the, not in the the book, she had a flamethrower. Oh, in the book, yes. In the book, yeah, in the book, she had a flamethrower. And here, Kick-Ass uses a jetpack with mounted turrets to take out the majority of people. And then uh, goes in on a one-on-one fight with Red Mist while... Hit Girl takes on D'Amico, Frank Which D'Amico. I kind of liked it, it better. I kind of liked the fight between Red Mist and Kick-Ass in the movie better than the book. Yeah. Because in the book, like, you see Red Mist has a gun, but he doesn't use the gun. He doesn't even try to, to fire the gun. Doesn't even try to Doesn't he get, like, just taken away? Doesn't he get, like, knocked he gets out of his hit, hand? He, no, he gets the, the crap kicked out of him. That's what happens. Like, he takes the gun out, and he's pointing the gun at him, but he's not doing anything to where you see Kick-Ass just starts hitting him with two sticks. Yeah. So, like, D'Amico, uh, Chris in the book was very much a bitch. And he's like, I can even see why your father called you a pussy. And right. And they, 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 do the, they do the Rocky uh, ending where they both hit each other at the same time they fall down. Meanwhile, you see Mark Strong, like, taking it to this 13-year-old girl. <laughs> he's, like, he's like a trained fighter. He's yeah, beating up. Yeah, because that, in the movie, he, does, he has fights. He has a little, remember in the Matrix, how their little dojo looked? He had, like, one of those little Matrix set-up dojos. Yeah, so he's beating up this little girl and eventually decides he needs to shoot her in the head. That's how he wants to end it. Well, see, that's why I kind of like in the graphic novels. Like, uh, she was beating her with a fucking meat cleaver. He was just hitting her yeah. with a meat tenderizer. Um, and so the climax of the film is way different than the comics. Uh, the comic uses—I mean, sorry—the film uses a jetpack and a rocket launcher, but Millar called this a necessity. Uh, he said we're building—we were building up so much stuff that we needed some like Luke Skywalker blowing up the Death Star kind of shit going on. <laughs> so I mean, yeah. But some people argue that the film cheated on the premise of the real life superhero by having increasingly uh, fantastic events and stuff. I wouldn't call them increasingly fantastic. Well, you go—you go from the little girl killing everybody. To the jetpack with the machine guns on it, to the rocket launcher shot. I, those are two very, those, those are three. Sorry, very big moments in the space of twenty minutes that are that are probably way crazy. Oh, the end. Oh, you're talking just as a full just on the just, end, the ending. just the ending. Yeah. Just oh the yeah, that's definitely that's, in comparison to the book. Because you have you have her take everybody. down the entire headquarters in a schoolgirl's outfit with 
a suitcase full of guns. And 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 in the film makes more sense because it's like, okay, you killed my mom, basically. And you now killed you killed my, my dad, dad. It's over. But in the book, you just kinda you just killed my dad, but you killed my dad because we were screwing with you because of something that he made up. Yeah, but in the book he she doesn't really know I don't know if she fully knew it. They never really made a parent to it because what happened was is uh Kick Ass was like uh your father lied and you know, he's not really who he says he was and that's when she throws the line fight now, mourn later. Okay. Because you know, he was trying to tell her that your father lied. But then they just completely go into Dave's story to where you never know if they went into great detail about how bad your father lied. But assuming that since she went back with her mother and new stepfather that she's going to find out how much of a crazy person her father really was. Yeah, and J.R. J.R. Uh, was quoted on saying that um, that Big Daddy story in the film works better stopping short. Yeah, because you love him better in the it, film. It it does you exactly. By the ending of the book, I'm just like, holy crap, this guy is insane. Brad Pitt, Daniel Craig, and Mark Wahlberg were all considered for the role. Of I would have given it to Daniel Craig. I like Daniel. You Craig. know a name a name I heard that I thought would have killed this as Big Daddy, Jason Bateman. You know what? I could see Jason Bateman doing it. I can see him doing it. I can see Jason Bateman doing it. And I can tell you the truth, I can see Rain Wilson doing it. Oh, now well, you're talking about that superstar? Dude, I'm telling you, I don't know if you, you gotta have Hulu, you have to have Netflix, find it on Voodoo, find it on something. I don't know, man. You gotta watch Super. It is great. You think, you think Hit Girl was great? Now take Hit Girl's enthusiasm, but none of her skills. <laughs> oh, good. And that's what you get with Ellen Page. I don't even know what that looks like, to tell you the truth. But I am all the enthusiasm of like uh, wanting to be a superhero and wanting to fight crime and, and all the guns and the loving of the killing. Take all of that giddy, whimsical enthusiasm, but yeah. then just like completely forget to add all of the actual fighting style skills. And you have Ellen Page as just this crazy eighteen-year-old. Talking about Shadowcat. Yes, <laughs> Miss Miss Juno is great in that no, one. Def- Super, and you know when you do watch it, we will have to review it on here. I'll definitely give that a shot, though. I've heard some good things about it, but um, James Gunn, man, Tyler Bates scored. It's- Basically, bad reputation blares out. Hit girl just demolishes a, a hallway full of criminals. She should she should have been shot about thirty times, but she doesn't. Uh, the comic does not fail to uh, show that violence. It does. A great job showing all Even of Even on a 12-year-old girl, they don't care. They will hit her with a meat cleaver. Yeah, dude, they do not Destructive. care. Destructive. When it seems as if they are cornered, that's when Kick-Ass shows up with the minigun kind of set up with the grenade launcher. Then they go on the, the fights where Kick-Ass fights Red Mist and uh, Frank fights uh, Hit-Girl. And right when Frank is about to shoot an exhausted Hit-Girl, Kick-Ass shows up with the bazooka, blows him out of the window, and he explodes in midair in red mist. <laughs> he blows up and creates a, a red mist. Wait, did they get a load of me? Yeah. Uh, but you see that Dave and Mindy are like, they do like a, a, a long shot of her him flying her around with the... <laughs> with the yeah, a really <laughs> weird like Richard Donner Superman yeah. scene do, going do, on. Do, do, where he's like flying do, the, the jetpack and she's just like on his like, oh God, it was just really weird because he's like 18, she's like 12. But yeah, they're like, screw this, we're going to retire. And she's like, oh, my name is Mindy. I thought that was a cool moment where she just basically was able to 
take a step back from her superhero mantra and uh, just play it straight. We find out that uh, Damon McCready's old partner, Marcus, actually becomes Mindy's legal guardian. And Mindy is being enrolled into Dave's school. So Dave's got the girl. Dave's got the hit girl. Dave's got the friends. Kick-ass is fine. He's uh, escaped his um, viral execution. Everything's looking good for my man. It's a uh, real happy ending for the kick-ass film. Way happy ending. Uh, And at the end, you see um, my man Red Mist sitting there in his father's office in a little bit of an upgraded mask. And he looks at the camera and says, as a great man once said, wait till they get a load of me. And he shoots the gun at the screen. That quote is from Batman 89. Which I like that they took it from the comic book itself, too, because that was D'Amico's or Chris's last line for yes. him in the comic. But where I he feel was like in the comic, he, they were positioning him to be like a troll. Like he was just going to go online and be like, what's so great about Kick-Ass? <laughs> like he didn't like he was just going <laughs> to yeah, go Yeah, because he was doing his whole like villain monologue while typing into a blog site. Yeah, like he was just going to try to defame Kick-Ass via social Which media. kind of looks like what the premise of kick-ass 2 is like it looks like what they're leading off with the ending of the comic is that he's gonna go and try and recruit super villains and i wouldn't be surprised if mother Russia have you read numbers two yet no, no i would i'll read no, i'm gonna read number two i'm gonna try and like read like maybe one or two issues i'll let you know if it's like worth the read because yeah, we watched great. kick-ass 2 together and i forgot how like it was dumb not, that movie yeah it was not great yeah. it was not good at all it was lackluster um but yeah wait till we get a load of me is the line spoken by jack nicholson's joker in batman 89 Right before he reads an article talking about the Batman, he's like, oh, so I think Batman's good. Okay, wait till they get a load of me. So I thought that that was absolutely great. But this movie, um, like I said, it took took a brunt of backlash because a lot of people were just like, why is the little girl cursing so much? Why is there so much blood and guts and stuff? Chloe uh, Grace Moretz herself was like, if I even uttered a word that I said in Kick-Ass, I'll be grounded for years. I'd be stuck in my room until I was 20. I would never in a million years say that I'm an average everyday girl. And that when she would go on promotional tours, she would call the film Kick-Butt or The Film because she didn't she didn't curse. So, you know. Yet, the next year, we get her in a movie with Blake Lively called Hick. Where she doing all kinds of stuff. She Oh, man. It's a good movie, but it, it's like a movie that, that you wouldn't want to cast a 17-year-old girl for. I can understand that. Like, there's a scene where she has, like, a revolver in her hand and she has, like, a pair of pinata panties on and she's, like, torturing a, a door-to-door salesman. Huh. So, it, it, Hick, it, I thought Hick was a good movie. It was with Blake Lively, but it's just, like I said, it's not a movie you, you should cast someone who, at that time, was a 15-year-old girl. Speaking of which, when they were trying to, like, shop this movie around... Uh, and they were looking at other studios besides Lionsgate, it turns out that almost every studio that they shopped this around had the same thing to say. We'll take the movie on, but you got to get rid of Hit Girl. Or make her 19. And they didn't budge on it. And so the film ultimately ended up I think it, I think it would have ruined the... I think it would have ruined the overall universe of the film. Well, like I said, like you said, we were watching uh, Kick-Ass 2 and I said several points like she's way too old for this like yeah. she is definitively older than she's playing and we can tell she it looked, and there's an she, yeah, there there's was, an awkwardness to it and I didn't like it so but the whole the whole phenomenon about Hit Girl is somebody is, is a girl who is in a sense 
we wouldn't be able to get X twenty three from this from last year's Logan to pass with the audience if it wasn't for Hit Girl. Uh, I right. truly believe that if I it agree. wasn't without Hit Girl, we wouldn't be able to pass X twenty three off as a kid. I definitely agree. I agree on that. Because um, now everybody wants to see a badass kid that kills and curses. Right. Because every kid in the world wants to be a badass kid who can curse and kill. Right. You know, I, that's how just kids I do are. I one of those two all the time. <laughs> well, I hope it's not like a curse. It, it, but regardless of its deviations from the comics, I think that this film was enjoyable. I mean, it, it tackles... Oh, 100% it passed. It's, it's 10 out of 10. Matthew Vaughn's direction is great. Henry Jackman's score of when the, the scenes that you can tell is a Henry Jackman score work perfectly. They're still beautiful. And all the actors and actresses in this were having fun. Right. And you can tell that they were having fun. You can see with, between Evan Peters, Clark Duke, and Aaron Taylor Johnson, you can see a lot of the laughing moments. that You can tell that these characters, these actors were just like, you know, either reading these lines or got to do it, these lines improv and they're yeah. just having fun. I think that whole uh, Paris it, Hilton sex scene was an improv line. It, you know, I get the similar feeling from Kingsman. Everyone's having fun. Everyone's... Oh, it looks Mark like Bar, everyone's having fun in that movie. Yeah. Um, this movie also ta- tackles like the reality of vigilantism, which is like we never see consequences. Right, we see Batman, Arrow, all these shows, and we never see consequences. People could take a oh, yeah, million no one ever punches. Them like being captured. People can take a million punches. People can take a million gunshots, and they'll be healed, be good for the ready for the next issue. So I really like that it brought on to the re- reality of what could happen, the consequences of vigilante. Anytime you see your favorite superhero in the hospital, you know it's going to be a good day. Yeah. That's what I say, because it was just great to see Kick-Ass in the hospital. <laughs> I also really like the idea that Kick-Ass was basically just trying to do good for good's sake. Not because people deserved it, or not because um, he was yeah. that he is the only person uh, ready to do that. But he feels like good people should just do good things. And they even world. said, I, I think it was both in the movie and the book, where when he was saving that one guy from being jumped, or there's like, you know, you're going to reach your neck out for a guy you don't even know. The guy's a bad guy. And he's look, like, yeah, but you're jumping him. So who's, so who's a real guy? bad guy? That's, yeah. That is great. That's yeah. what a hero is about. That's a hero's journey. Right. But that, but speaking to that, there's another layer of this, uh, of the themes that go on in here, but mostly around... Um, uh, Hit Girl and Big Daddy is the idea that is redemption possible in the real world? Um, you know, they're killing people. They're they're not capturing people. Like they, at one point, they got a guy in a car compactor. Yeah, you and know? he's like, I gave you everything you wanted. Now just let me go. And they still and do that it happens anyways. in both the film and in the comic. Yeah, you know, and so they don't think that any of these people are worth redemption or or a second chance or any of that kind of stuff. How does that speak to you? Does that does that something that resonates with you? Is that something you agree with? The, this idea that there's some an old, are f- too there's an old saying that goes, uh, "Revenge is a dish best served cold." That if you're going to do revenge, if you're gonna if you're gonna get your redemption, you can't do it with the faint of heart. You can't be nice about it. So you have to kill if that's what you're looking for. You have to hurt if that's what your revenge is. So redemption in the world world doesn't come without either either law consequences or death consequences bloodshed man you know it's either it's either going to be bloodshed or you're going to spend the rest of your life behind bars and then you're going to get killed every day by the gangs of the people that you tried fighting right you know so you don't want gets more violence exactly yeah exactly eye for an eye okay someone kills your 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 father what does it do when you kill them 
Does it bring your father back? Does it make the pain go away? Or do now, not only can you not sleep at night because you're missing a family member, now you can't sleep at night because of all the people you just killed trying to feel better about the family member that they killed. You know, it's just, it's an endless circle. It's a cycle that no one can break. So I don't think we should look for redemption in the real world. It's not that serious. No matter what kind of redemption you look for, it's not going to bring back what happens. But you, I guess, and, and I mean, human life is taken all over this. Every this day. Um, and Every day this in this film. So that I guess you could ask, is society desensitized? Do you think that this creates copycats? Do you think that... Well, it shows, it's, it's, it shows that it creates copycats of, super, of people wanting to dress up in costumes and... Were you yourself offended by the gratuitous violence? No, I don't get film? offended by nothing. Oh, okay. So, well, yeah, you kind of Nothing can offend me. I want listen. If you're gonna throw a superhero movie in a real world, we need violence. Right. You need gore. You. I think the Batman movies would work in so much better if I got to see a tooth fly out or some blood. If I got to see some blood, like how many people is Batman punching in the face? You're telling yeah. me not one guy has a busted lip. That's true. He hasn't shattered one collarbone. I don't even get it. All chance. it takes is one punch to the to the nose, and you're you're. Yeah, it. I don't even hear one bone break. All I hear is punches always hitting somebody. But so so, do you feel that? It was so. It was so real that it kind of goes back into parody. Like you know what I'm saying? Like it no, was it's so definitely a sat a sat a satirized it's, version. It's a hyper violence. You know, uh, somebody coined that term, but it's hyper violence. Uh, uh, Stanley Kubrick. Yeah, it's hyper violence. Um, ultra violence. Uh, oh, that was like. it. That was the that was ultra the ultra violence. Um, one full of the not one full of uh, Clockwork Orange. Yeah, ultra violence. Little bit of the ultra violence. Um. Do you think that that this film has it deserves the criticism that it has against no. it, which is like that they're trying to make Hit Girl sexy and all that other kind of stuff? No, not at all. One, I didn't find Hit Girl to. I it's not that I didn't find her sexy because I'm a guy, she's a girl. It's just her uh, mannerisms, her body language of how she was acting, how she was talking, how she was like treating the fighting itself. She wasn't. It wasn't sex icon appeal. It was like, damn, that's some badass person you know i was i wasn't looking at genders i was looking at damn that's a badass pitch this movie to somebody who's never seen it uh outcast 15 year old kid reads too many comics and decides to try and make a difference in his neighborhood after being robbed too many times yeah i would say the same thing Real fanboy becomes real superhero with real consequences. Yeah. (laughs) It's it's like if Peter Parker watched Spider-Man and said, I can do that. Yeah. Yeah. But I I really, really dug this. Any last words on old kick-ass? It's not as violent as I as I thought I remember. Like I I not as I remember as I thought I remembered. I thought I remembered this movie as like, damn, heads being cut off, eyes being popped out of gauges, but you go back and you watch King, uh, the first Kingsman, another Matthew Vaughn production, and it's like that one Westboro Baptist scene is more violent in its five in its five minutes of glory than Kickass was in its two hours. And it does borrow stuff from Kickass stuff that they know. That well, that's Matthew Vaughn's yeah. that's Matthew Vaughn's style. That long take, the one shot styles. That's right. like his thing. So Kickass, one like, last words for it: ten out of ten. You guys gotta watch it. It's fun. 
It's enjoyable. It's not as violent as you're going to think it is. You're going to think that we're going to be talking here that you're going to see like, you know, fingers going up people's assholes. It's a, no, it's not, it's, it's not. not. It, it, what the thing is, is the camera doesn't shy away from body dismemberment yeah. more than gore and violence itself. It's more of body things dismemberment. Things break, things rip. Yeah, it's a thing. But unlike the comics, you're not seeing like knees pop out of their sockets and elbows coming out of its skin. Like that in the comics, you see like hit girl, like break a guy's like kneecap. Yeah. And, like, all kinds of limbs fall off. My last thing I'll say is if you haven't seen this film, uh, please do. Just do it. But also, I would implore everyone to read the book. Oh, read the comic. Read the do. comic. Read the comic. I know that's not something we say often here. But I have legitimately have increased my viewing experience with some of these movies by looking at the source material that has inspired them. Yeah, and you really, when I was was watching Kick-Ass and reading it, it was like I was understanding why they left, what they left out. Yeah. Because it's like, nope, that wouldn't have worked on on screen. That wouldn't have worked on screen. And if you like the movie, it's almost like, do you want more movie? Like, it's just, it's just. No, yeah. It's just like, it just gives you more exposition, more And it's like, do do you want a more darker tone than the movie? Like, did you like the movie for its dialogue and entertainingness and action, but do you want to see a darker tone of the movie? Exactly. Read the book. Exactly. And it, and it will go to serve you. I'm so glad you were able to read uh, the comic. No, like like I was telling Jasmine, like, well, when you were telling me, like, uh, that you wanted, that you were suggesting me to read the comic, for some reason, just something was saying, like, he definitely wants me to read it. He needs somebody to talk about this with. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to go and read it. It was eight issues. It took me, like, a couple of hours. Like I said, like it, it wasn't. It's, it's re- a it real was really read, quick, and it's and it's really really. Good. It was just because I was reading on my phone, and it's a small screen. I had to like, after I'm done reading the dialogue, I would go back and look at the background so I can catch everything. But as far as reading it goes, it was really quick. Yeah. There wasn't that much to soak up, but it was a lot of like, wow. When all said and done, we will convert you, Dan. We will have you fully comiced up. By, by the end of this uh, venture into Major Issues. But that's what we do here on Major Issues. We tackle great comic book films and the source material that it comes from. And we have all bunch of episodes in our back catalog. We're getting closer and closer to Issue 50. As a matter of fact, Issue 50 is next week. And uh, But if you haven't listened to the rest of our stuff, you can catch the Major Issues Podcast wherever podcasts are found. You can literally just Google Major Issue Podcast and we're the first ones that pop right up. We're available on Stitcher, Podbean, Podcast Attic. If you have an iPhone, all your iPhones have been pre-installed with a podcast app. Just search Major Issues Podcast in the search bar and we'll pop right up. Yeah, it's if you write Major Issues, I was searching it today. If you, if you type Major Issues, it's literally the first podcast library that opens up right there nice little yellow comic book wow type styling we're on google play we're on youtube we are literally almost literally on youtube so go uh go find us like share and subscribe if you like what we're doing here uh we're the train's gonna just keep on rolling more uh comic books down the line more movies we're getting ready for our annual we make one year in december so I'm really, really excited about that. And Major Issues is brought to you by Comic Book Click. So if you want to follow us on all our social media, you can find us at facebook.com slash comicbookclick, Instagram at comicbookclick, or use the hashtag comicbookclick to talk about the latest and greatest uh, things to come to comic books and comic book media. Also, you can reach me at, at Major Issues CBC on the Twitter. 
Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe to the podcast, like I said previously. But if you really want to do us a favor, leave us a review on iTunes. Leave us any kind of star or any kind of written review that you would like because it's the quickest way for us to grow as podcasters. And if we get good reviews, it's the quickest way for us to grow our audience because we will start hitting up that little news and noteworthy news and noteworthy section of uh, iTunes podcasts. And guys, we need your help. We need your help more than ever before. Our one-year anniversary of this podcast is coming up. It has been a year since we have been getting together and doing this once a week for you guys. And we dish- haven't missed a single Dishing episode. out every content we can think of. But we need you guys to write some letters to us. We need some fan emails, some fan mails. Hit- Feedback. I've always said, you know, I this is always meant to be a conversation with us and fans. And I have the inkling that some people are a little bit trepidatious, a little bit nervous. So we'll take on this first year solo. When you guys want to write in, you guys want to leave your reviews, go ahead and do so. We, we can give you the next anywhere. Which is Worse. You can be the one to pick the next Which is Worse. You can pick us the next comic book to read and review. Give us this the next movie to watch. Always. There's been a lot of comic book movies that George hasn't even seen. Have you this even seen true. The Losers? I have seen The Losers. Do you remember much of The Losers? I haven't seen Catwoman and I haven't seen Electra. Colombiana. And I haven't, seen seen, I haven't seen Punisher Warzone. There's a bunch of stuff there. I'm saying you guys can actually get to those movies. Uh, just make sure that you're writing and make sure that you're sharing, liking, and subscribing. We're getting new uh, YouTube subscribers. We're getting new people adding our Twitter. We're getting new people onto the Instagram. We're actually starting conversations. So I'm so glad that you guys are engaging with us uh, because it's only going to get bigger. It's only going to get better. And it's, all gonna, it's only going to be a part of Comic Book Click and the Major Issues podcast. But I am George Serrano, a.k.a. The Don. I am Dan the Comic Man. And this has been our kick-ass Film and book recap and review. And remember, whether you've been lying to your little girl this entire time <laughs> and you were just a sleazy accountant, whether you've been lying to your girl this entire time and you're not really gay, whether you've been lying to your friends this entire time and you had clothes on before you took them off and hid them underneath a car, you're not, <laughs> you're not gay nor are you a gay prostitute. Remember that you can be a hero, that we are the clique, and that you, yes you, are worthy. Thank you.